We good? Yes. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and um, how many people have um, have a regular meditation practice, like at least once a year, or you know, once, no, once, once, you know, once, once a week, or once a day, or once, uh, um, and uh, how many of you have a, have a already have some kind of practice of loving kindness, compassion? Do some some, some of that on a on a regular basis. Okay, so a good chunk of you. <clears throat> and how many of you are here for uh, CEs, getting CEs, and continuing education units? Great. Oh yes, so um, if you haven't checked in already and you're here for continuing ed units, please check in now with Hillary and um, at the back table there and then remember to check to sign out at the end, otherwise we can't give you your units, as you know. So where to start? Well, actually, I'm wanting to start with why you're here. <laughs> what is it that brings you, aside from getting CEs or whatever it is, um, what what motivates you to come study and dwell in this practice of kindness and compassion? What what um, what uh, what is in fact what what I'm going to have us do is actually just why don't you turn to the person next to you, and we'll just say hello. And um, and just take a minute or so. Just you know, what brings you here today? You know, maybe twos or threes, however it works out. Um, and if you don't have someone, just look around, raise your hand, join a group of two, three. Thank you. Good intention. Thanks. Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Hi, my name is Penny, and. Um, I'm here because it, I find it really easy to be loving and compassionate. Things are easy, mm-hmm. but I have a precocious 11-year-old boy who mm. pushes all of my buttons mm-hmm. on a regular and ongoing basis, mm. and that's very challenging to not respond and not react and not right. lash out yeah. when you're really being pushed unfairly. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. The part. Yeah. Help me with that. <laughs> we'll really see. Good. We'll see what we can do. Maybe we'll invite a few eleven-year-olds from the valley and just <laughs> to sit with you. And <laughs> you must be the only parent who has a hard time with their eleven-year-old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's that? Doesn't get easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's life. I mean, relationships, family, children, spouses, parents. I mean, in many ways, it's often the people we're closest to are the hardest. They push our buttons. Right? So, how do we stay kind, or have healthy boundaries, or loving and healthy boundaries, and all the rest of it? That's why we practice. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What are the motivations for being here today? What are you looking to explore or understand? Yes, at the front here. I think similar, but not an 11-year-old. Just uh, 
the, the topic was very compelling. Mm-hmm. I love that just the topic for today, um, love and, I believe, widening the heart. Uh, but similar, I mean, the closer the relationship, uh, the more intimate, closer, up close, it, it's challenging. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it just is mm-hmm. so easy with friends and extended friends and people on the street to mm-hmm. just very be very present in there. And I love that same kind of presence the closer it gets. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. they also think I'm thinking of returning to the work field. I think just love is drawing me back to end-of-life care and hospice work. Mm-hmm. But I'm just contemplating it at after not working for five years and, you know, being just over 65, am I, do I really have it in me after days of walking in nature and unstructured life for the last five years? And yet I'm being called. Life feels like it's calling me. I'm, so I'm just open to not the answers but staying with the questions. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Yeah, great. Anything else? Yes, Evelyn. It's another parenting um, thought. Um, I uh, am trying to uh, make some progress on um, keeping my deep love and intimate relationship with my daughter. um, And when she's uh, she's 30, so she's not 11 anymore. But when uh, and things are going well for her, but when they're not, when she's sad or is having a struggle, I really find it hard to keep my equanimity. And um, and sometimes I don't think I'm making much progress with it. You know, had a two-week spell this fall where I pretty much just uh, watched movies and good movies, but still, <laughs> and read and ate with abandon and <laughs> tried to you know reach out with the dharma and to the Dharma and feel my sadness and all that. And it was, I kind of enjoyed it until my pants were getting tight. And, you know, I I don't know. Anyway, so I'm just trying, I don't want to back away from that tight, loving, really intimate connection with her, but I want to maintain my own peace of mind a little more easily. Hmm. Yeah, that's, life is challenging to keep the heart open. Relationships, you know, and this is a good example, right? You deep love for your daughter, and and you know, in this case, it's around how merged you get, and how caught up you get, and how how it's hard to find equanimity when they're suffering. That's another challenge to the heart. So, so good. I'm sure there's many other different intentions here. Also, uh, I want to welcome them. It's just good to listen to what what draws you and what you're. Uh, aspiring to understand or cultivate, and you know, sometimes we come to these days just, you know, this you know, Spirit Rock and, and the, the, the community and the land is, you know, it's a refuge. It's a refuge from, you know, what can often feel like a very busy, chaotic life. You know, and um, it's really important that we take time to slow down, to pause, to feel into our hearts, our bodies, to. to to tune into what's you know what deeper threads are uh, being woven, or what deeper voices need to be listened to, and 
and you know cultivating any pra- any practice any quality whether it's mindfulness which is the foundation quality here or loving kindness which is also central quality um, takes practice takes work you know and we have such a deluded idea of what love is in this culture that it's romantic and it's euphoric and it's um, sensational in a certain way and it's you know love in relationship is takes a lot of tenacity and effort and patience and kindness and intention and um, forgetting and remembering and (laughs) forgetting and remembering and getting triggered and remembering and getting reactive and remembering. So which will happen today. We'll we'll touch, you know, into qualities of kindness and presence and love and we'll touch other places that are very not that <laughs> boredom, hatred, fear, anger, frustration, right? So how do we meet all of that, you know, when it's not so easy? And life and our mind and our body and our hearts will always present innumerable challenges to to um, to staying open, staying kind with ourselves. Anybody have a hard time being loving towards themselves? I usually hear that in the right. Some hands flying up there. Um, sometimes you know we're very loving, and, and many of you imagine who be here for CEs, or therapists, or social workers. Or, and often it's easier for us in our work or in our life to be caring to others, and, and much harder to be kind and remember to hold ourselves with love with forgiveness. So that's a lot of work. Certainly was true for me when I first started this practice. I had tremendous self-hatred and uh, self-judgment and um, self-rejection in a way. And it took years to, to soften that and to find some way back into my heart and to, and, to, and to see myself through kind eyes rather than critical eyes. Um, but that can still flare up. I was on my way. I was on my way to meet my contractor this morning, and I had to go pick up some paint. So I went early to the paint store, and then I, we couldn't find the right paint, and I didn't have the right details, and yada yada yada. So I and I eventually get some paint, go to the house where he's working on the house, and then I forget the paint. <laughs> I forget one of the paints, <laughs> and he's like, "Where's the paint?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, right, it's at the store." <laughs> It's human, right? We make we make mistakes. We forget things. We, you know, we do all kinds of things. You know. So, how do we keep showing up with kindness, with care, and and so for me, the the this practice is is a fusion of both awareness and mindfulness and kindness. Right, the two qualities are very merged. Even though this is a day where we're cultivating the quality of love and metta, of compassion, that. There, it has, it is always and has to be suffused with awareness, with mindfulness, with being present to our experience, with kindness, with care. So, we can think of matter or loving kindness as as a quality. It's innate. It's something we can develop, and it's also an attitude. It's a way that we meet and turn to and hold each other and experience moment by moment. So ultimately, that attitude or that quality of love is suffused into everything that we do in everything, every conversation, every interaction, every thought, every, you know, wherever we are, you know. 
because um, that's a nice ideal, you know. And then there's life, <laughs> and then there's ways that we live into that and and really embody that, and there's ways that we we don't. And then being loving with the times that we're not loving, you know, the times when we're reactive, right? Then the most painful times when we're caught, when we're triggered. I had a very very difficult weekend with my partner. We had a, just one of those weekends where just there was a lot of triggering going on and it was very hard, it was very painful. And a lot of contraction, a lot of withdrawal, a lot of difficult conversations and hard to, to stay open, you know, when when it's hard in relationship, when you're being criticized or judged or whatever's going on, right? Whatever the relationship, intimate, family, familial or otherwise. So, um, and that's why we practice. So the Buddha, in his uh, in the, his, his teaching on loving kindness, um, you know, as he was with many of his teachings, was very aspirational and um, was pointing to the p- potential or the possibility of human love and human kindness. And he makes this analogy, which is you know, well known as a, as a mother watches over her child, willing to risk her own life to protect her only child. So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, suffusing the whole, wo- the whole world with unobstructed loving kindness. So should one should cherish all life, all living beings with loving kindness. One should suffuse the whole world with... Uh, unconditional loving kindness. It's a beautiful aspiration. How beautiful to to live in that or to live oriented towards that, you know. Um, and how much the world needs kindness and care. You know, just looking at the debates, I was just listening to that whole debacle with the Trump rally in Chicago and the fighting and the antagonism and just the just the just the mess, you know, the political mess and the antagonism, the polarization, the hatred, the blaming, the vindictiveness, the racism, this is a whole, this whole mess. Uh, it was one teeny example of where love and wisdom and kindness is lacking. You know? And we can look, you know, in, in broader, you know, just the, the, the chaos in the world, the fighting, the wars, the, the Islamophobia, the you know, just the tremendous suffering that's being inflicted around the world and in the name of religion. Again, lack of wisdom, lack of awareness, lack of kindness. Globally, personally. <clears throat> so I'm really happy that we're all here developing this intention, this quality. You know, it's really a beautiful aspiration. And, um, you know, I, I feel heartened by the, what I see as a, as a, even though, you know, we can look at the media and if we listen to the media all the time, all we see is horror and, and deterioration of everything, you know. But I also see the, you know, if we look culturally in a broader context, there's, there's a growing curiosity about these qualities. I mean, look, look what's happening in mindfulness. There's this explosion of mindfulness in, in every sector in society. You know, in the UK Parliament just, just did a year-long study and, and 
um, advocating mindfulness be brought extensively into healthcare education um, and business and government. There's a fifth of the parliament in UK, I'm not sure if it's showing yet, but a fifth of the parliament have gone through an eight-week mindfulness course. Can you imagine a fifth of the Senate going through a <laughs> mindfulness course? That's you know, 20 senators sitting on their asses being quiet for um, an hour or two. I mean, <laughs> but it's happening, you know. Um, you know, Tim Ryan is teaching mindfulness on Capitol Hill. He's a beautiful senator from, from Ohio. Amazing, amazing man. And, and the qualities of compassion, there's, there's, a, you know, there's a growing you know, sort of, I, I see it, and I, I, I work a lot in business, and there's a lot of not just lip service, but genuine intention to make certain work environments more caring, more compassionate. You know, and you can be cynical and go, oh, it's just, you know, it's going to sell more products, and that may or may not be true. But I do see a genuine intention and, 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 a, and, a, and an awareness that, you know, we function better as human beings and as organizations if there's more empathy, if there's more care, if there's more kindness, more compassion. It's not rocket science. And it, but it's, it is filtering its way because of research, because of really good research in, in, um, um, in mindfulness and compassion and loving kindness. Uh, I'll actually quote some research a little later from some amazing studies being done on loving kindness and the, and its impact on well-being and stress and, and empathy and connectivity and engagement and you know, really important you know metrics in life. And you know, despite all that, you know, we we're, we're here for our own. We're here for our ourselves in a way. First and foremost, we're here for our cultivating our own hearts and kindness and presence. And what we practice, we become, right? What we, who we are is a product of how we've, the choices we've made, of the things, that, the habits and qualities we've developed, right? So if we want to be more loving kindness, having more loving kindness to our children or our difficult people in our lives, then we practice now in order to facilitate that. You know? This is uh, it's one of my favorite poems of loving kindness from Mary Oliver who writes, on cold evenings my grandmother with ownership of only half her mind, the other half having flown back to Bohemia, spread newspapers over the porch floor so she said the garden ants could crawl underneath as under a blanket and keep warm. And what shall I wish for for myself but being so struck by the lightning of years to be like her with what is left, that loving. And what a beautiful thing, you know, she's, her mind's flown back to Bohemia, you know, at some point our minds will disappear, but the essence of who we are will, will remain, right? Whether you're doing hospice work or whether you're, you know, wherever you are, you know, you see, you see that when people are in the twilight years, there's a sort of, there are some of the essential qualities they've developed can shine through uh, in beautiful ways. So if, if that's what we cultivate, if we cultivate fear and antagonism, <laughs> I guess what might happen in the twilight years? <laughs> we might not be so nice to be around. So, this is a line that I think speaks to where we are politically. It says, I'm not sure who wrote it. It says, Mind creates the abyss, the heart crosses it. Mind creates the abyss. 
heart crosses it. Right? So our mind lives in separation, lives in duality, lives in us and them, me and you, good and bad, right and wrong. And the heart doesn't live from that place of separation. It's, that's not what the heart knows. The heart knows unity. The heart knows interconnection. The heart knows love. And love is, you know, is a, is the glue that permeates. It's the fabric. And so, and we have both orientations. We have a mind that, you know, can be very incisive in a very good way. And it can also be very destructive in a, in, in a separating way. And it also can be diluted in seeing separation where there's actually more connection than we realize. So as we develop that heartfulness, you know, we develop more empathy, we develop the capacity to put ourselves in other shoes, we see that we're all in the same boat, we see that we share the same struggles and joys, we see that there's not so much that separates us compared to what... uh, uh, you know, uh, what's common, what unites us. So I think we'll sit for a little bit and um, we'll explore different facets of, of different practices today. And I'll try not to talk too much. <laughs> There's a lot to say, so it's easy to do that, but I'd rather us do more practice than than yakking. Um, so, and first we'll just sit and we'll just cultivate a simple mindful awareness, being present to our experience. And... paying particular attention to how we suffuse or integrate the quality of attention or awareness with kindness, with warmth, with care. Right? So we can be present, but we can be present with a kind of coolness, with a coldness, with a judgmentalness, with a aversive tone, with, with judgment, with resistance. Right? There's many ways we can be present, but like, like we're being patient, but like we're just... We're just you know, hurry up and finish, right? That's not really, it's sort of being present, but you're really mostly just in aversion and, and avoidance, right? So the, the quality of, of attention when it's suffused with kindness is it's leaning into, it's moving towards, it's, it's connecting, right? There's this beautiful analogy in, Bur- in the Burmese tradition um, where they think of metta, this word metta, which means friendliness, kindness, as the, the analogy is the, the two water drops. When two water drops come together, they merge, right? This water drop connection, which means an intimate connection, right? So with mindfulness, as much as mindfulness can help create a spacious, somewhat d- detached observation mode, right? We're not actually retreating from experience. We want to be intimate, close, connected, with our breath, with our body, with our hearts, with anything, with our sensations, with feeling, with anything that's arising. So notice as you're sitting, can you sit with a with a carefulness in the attention, with a kindness, right? So when you you sit and you feel sad or lonely or 
agitated or you've encountered that physical injury that you're working with or some existential angst or just simple boredom that can happen in meditation, can you turn to that, be with that with a, with a care, with a, with a kindness? Like, oh, all right, in this moment I'm cold, this moment I'm hungry, this moment I feel sad, this moment I'm noticing the lack of love in my life or lack of care towards myself. Right? So you just want to hold that with a kind attention. All right, so let's sit together. So those of you sitting on the floor, making sure you're sitting upright, grounded, sitting with ease. If you're sitting on a chair, you know, try not to slouch, try, try not to too much use the back of the chair, but sit really sit upright so you create a sense of wakefulness and uh, uprightness. And as you close your eyes or as you lower your gaze and you turn the, the gaze inwards and you orient towards your inner felt sense experience, just notice how you orient, how you do that. Like what, what happens when you turn towards yourself? Is it done with curiosity? Is it done with care with kindness interest in yourself is a form of kindness you could say and one way that that that, uh, cultivates that quality is when we feel a sense of um, gratitude. So maybe for them, as we start, we just take a moment to feel gratitude for being here, for taking time out of our lives to be here, for taking time to honor and cultivate this lovely quality. A moment of gratitude for our body all the things that our body does, moves us around, has senses that open us, our eyes to the beautiful green fields, our ears to the sound of birds, our body that can have this rich sensory experience. Gratitude for our lungs, breathing, heart beating, Or whatever other way you you might feel a sense of gratitude.
And grounding awareness in the body. So feeling, sensing your body grounded on the earth, feeling your feet, your legs, buttocks, on the cushion, the chair. Just feel that sense of arriving. And sensing the rest of your body, belly, torso, back, arms, head, And again, noticing how you are with those sensations. Can you be present to them, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? Can you be present to them where the attention has a quality of care or connection infused within it? the sensations of breath, this breath of life keeping us alive and sustained. Aware of that with appreciative awareness. And of course, naturally, the attention will wander away from here into thoughts, memories, plans. And we don't need to struggle or fight with the mind. It's a natural tendency. We simply notice when our attention has drifted. And then we begin again. This moment, this breath, this sensation of sitting,
and including within your practice, awareness of any emotion, of feeling that's present. And emotions arise like mist or like storms. Can you also meet those with a tender awareness? Oh, sadness is like this. Joy is like this. Worry and concern is like this. Feeling, sensing these feelings in your body. far you wander, takes a moment to return. Being here, this moment, the sound, this breath, this body, this feeling. If you're noticing you're a little sleepy, you want to sit upright, open your eyes.
So in the last couple of minutes of the sitting, it's allowing a very open awareness of your whole experience and seeing if it's possible to suffuse your experience, your awareness of your whole body, mind, heart with a kind, loving presence. I'll close with a poem from Daniel Mead. If you would grow to your best self, be patient and not demanding, accepting, not condemning, nurturing, not withholding, self-marveling, not belittling, gently guiding, not pushing or punishing. For you are more sensitive than you know. Mankind is tough as war, yet delicate as flowers. We can endure agonies, but open fully only to warmth and light. And our need to grow is fragile as a fragrance, dispersed by storms of will, returning when the storms are still. So accept and respect. Attend your sensitivity. A flower cannot be opened with a hammer. So as the poem suggests, we're not using hammers today. Come on, be more loving. Come on, hurry up. It's 10.30 and you haven't felt loving kindness yet. (laughs) It doesn't work so well. Impatience, demanding, expecting, forcing. The the heart's an interesting thing. It is like a plant. It, It grows in its own time partly nurtured by the right conditions, right? Care, presence, spaciousness, different qualities, right? We need to feed and water the heart. Forgiveness, important one. Self-forgiveness, forgiving others. So I'm just curious, any comments about just how it was to sit this morning, just with this uh, this quality of it, of trying to weave or suffuse 
a sense of kindness into your ordinary mindfulness practice. Yeah, over here. There's a mic. Hi. Um, hi. Hi. Yep. It's on. Okay. Um, I have a lot of going on in my life right now, and it's just like life is always funny that way that you gave this this day today, and doing some meditation all day today for me it's really a big challenge. Mm. But it's also really good to mm-hmm. be more loving, and I always have the tendency, like everyone here, to be so hard on herself mm. and um so anyway just like a lot of things coming out uh-huh. during the sitting but it's all yeah. bring me back to me to be more love and have more compassion and yeah. just that i'm going to be all right uh-huh. with all the challenge that's coming into my way right now mm-hmm. so yeah. it's just really good <laughs> yeah, good good so you you were noticing some critical Mm-hmm. Voices and thoughts and yeah, stories. but I always bring it back back to me and say no, don't go there. It's just uh-huh. like everything's gonna be all right, and you have so much love in your life, and you are mm. be more loving uh, with yourself. Mm-hmm. And that day, it's it's a right on point. Mm. So really, yeah. really grateful about that. Good, good, yeah. great. Glad you're here. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll we'll do some some of the loving kindness practice in a minute, and you know the, those the phrases, right? Whatever your phrases are, whether may I be at ease, may I love myself, may I be kind, or may I find peace, or I think really good antidotes for those voices. You're not good enough. You got all these things to do. Or you, you know, wasting your time. Blah 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 blah. You know, really helpful antidotes for the critic. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Any other? Comments, observations, questions? Yes. Thank you. I learned in another retreat that emotion is a combination of physical sensation, talking, um, words, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and physical and image and imagery. Mm. So what I was trying to do. Um, to infuse loving kindness was use a combination of all of those, mm-hmm. uh, mostly the 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 words and mm-hmm. the imagery, and I found that helped quite a bit. Mm-hmm. If I just conjure up loving words and images and um, taking care of myself, so mm-hmm. I I found that to be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Good, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as I say more in the in the meta practice, it is a as you say, it's it's a multi layered experience, right? It's physiological, it's 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 words, it's image, it's you know, and it's important to be creative at that whatever allows you to access that quality. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, at the front. Um. I guess my reflection on the sit is that I I don't have a lot of conflict and things happening in my life right now. Things are really clear. Mm. I'm very fortunate for this sense of ease um, I've been having. And it's been fascinating watching the mind hold on to things that aren't happening. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, come on, give me something. Yes. <laughs> 
It's like, come on. <laughs> Think about like an ex-boyfriend or like the, at a job I don't even work at anymore. I don't even know those people anymore. That's They're right. not here. <laughs> and so we've just been kind of humorous this morning watching my mind going, we got to get something, you know. <laughs> get some action going here. Yeah, I got to get it. It's, where's the juice? And That's so, right. but then I step back and I observe and my heart is just, it has been abiding at this phase. It's not, I know it's temporary, but it's been really beautiful, actually. Mm. And so I've been trying to observe the, the mental drama and set back into the body sensation mm-hmm. and be like, okay, mm. let's anchor here. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's rest here mm-hmm. and let the thing happen, but mm-hmm. just let it be what it is. So, mm-hmm. so thank you. It's my reflection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. No, it's been a while. That might, you know, I, I, we're, you know, we're creatures of habit. And if our mind's used to a lot of drama or activity, or, then that's what it will keep creating even when we actually don't want that we want peace and we finally have peace it's the, the habit is just oh no i gotta keep mm, creating some story drama or self issue and yeah so good to see that and just go oh, i don't need to do that right now it's not actually happening <laughs> i don't need to dredge up something from the past that's painful yeah 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 sometimes if i feel like my mind is like you know in the meditation like there's this radar and it just scans for either something that's problematic currently or it will go back to an old story just to because that it's you know it's that's the groove that's been laid down you know and so it's we you know unless we lay another groove down which can be more easeful or quiet or peaceful yeah so good yeah you know i think of meditation probably is interrupting that habit the habit energy you know, and our brain is somewhat hardwired to scan for threat and anticipate, you know, problems, and that's how we survive. And we, the problem is that never switches off. So we're, we're busy scanning and tracking and worrying, anticipating for things that are not real, you know. And so we just keep our system on, on alert, right? And which is not very helpful for anything, especially our nervous system, our well-being, our sense of stress, our sleep, our ease yeah so good to see um do we need a break yes no yes let's take us take a quick um stretch bathroom break and we'll come back and we'll explore a little more into the loving kindness practice so let's take um let's take 10 minutes and if you need to get tea or um stretch or move Say hello to people next to you. So I'd just like to do some review of the loving-kindness practice. And it sounds like many of you are f- quite familiar with it, but some of you are not. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it's a funny... Um, so the, the, the Pali word, which is the word that the Buddha used, the, well, at least the, the word that's used to describe the practice is metta which is um, a hard word to translate, as many of these uh, Pali words are. And the literal translation is friendliness. Uh, 
um, but translated by Victorian scholars as loving kindness, which is kind of a clunky phrase and something we don't really use except in these Buddhist circles. Um, so you know, it's important to, to feel into what this quality of kindness is for us and, and to find our own language and our own way of um, framing or understanding it. And really, doesn't ultimately doesn't matter what the word is that we use, but to feel into that quality of kindness or care that cherishes life. I like that word, cherishing, that the Buddha used, as the mother cherishes her only child. So Dalai Lama once said, if you want to understand what this quality is, look into the eyes of a mother taking care of her sick child. It's a, it's a, it's a quality of tenderness, of care, of unconditional love. Right? And so what's interesting about this quality for me um, is the unconditional aspect of it, that the idea is that we learn how to love not just in a romantic way or in a way that's an exchange, as we often do in relationships. There's a certain kind of um, agreement, you could say. You know, I'll be loving and I'll be here if you fulfill these rules and obligations, like you love me back. or um, I mean, But this quality of metta is the, the capacity of the heart is to be able to extend that quality of kindness even when it's difficult, even when our 11-year-old son is very challenging or our parents or our spouse or our co-worker or, um, you know, when we're watching a political debate, you know, whichever side of the spectrum you're on, it doesn't matter. Whoever's on the opposite side, it's hard to be extend kindness towards, right? It's amazing how quickly our heart shuts when someone has a different view than us, right? Whether it's a political view, a religious view, um, you name it. You know, we, we, we tend to, we, we get so caught and attached to our ideas, to our views, to our opinions, to... Uh, perspectives and uh, how easy it is to to withdraw to shut down so one one friend of mine describes this quality of, of metta as he says it's like I want everything for you and I want nothing from you I want everything for you and I want nothing from you so it's in that's in, in in that sense it's a generosity of heart it's a way that we extend our uh, boundless capacity without wanting something back. Right? Which is different than, as I said, and in in, in often in relationship there is an exchange and it's fine to have an exchange, but there's also a, a, a possibility where we just care. You know, just as we might care for a stranger who we may never see again and we, you know, whether it's a homeless person or someone needs some help, someone's lost or someone's, you know, wherever it can, you know, may be. You know, I tell the story of my friend Nippon Mehta, who's a great um, uh, um, I don't know what to call him. He's, a, he's just a great person and, and um, does amazing things in the world. And he has a story of he's in India. He's driving along the back of a moped with a friend of his, and he's going along these country roads, and it's bumpy, and he gets travel sick, and he gets off the bike, and he's throwing up, and he's feeling really nauseous. 
And up come this little country lane comes this guy on a bike and sees Nippon is sick and gets off his bike and pulls out a lemon from one pocket and pulls out a knife from another pocket, cuts it in half, gives it to Nippon because lemons are good for nausea, puts the lemon back in his pocket and the knife back in his pocket and drives off and rides off and not a word exchanged. And that's that quality of, you know, they'll never see each other again. And here's someone who's suffering and here's, here's how I extend kindness. It's that simple, that easy, that immediate. Um, and, uh, that possible, you know, we, we, we have that capacity. So the poet Hafez puts it in, in a broader way when he, he talks about, uh, the, 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 the image of the sun, the sun, never says to the earth, you owe me. You know, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look at what happens to a love like that. It lights up the whole sky. Right? It's a boundless quality. It's a giving. It's a generosity of heartfulness. So, and it's boundless and it's ordinary and it's simple and it's accessible. It's not something that we don't know and don't have available. And we can offer that, you know, starting with ourselves in the way that we meet our mind or our thoughts or our dramas or our physical pain or our emotional difficulties. And, you know, if we didn't have this quality, I mean, we'd be killing each other, right? I mean, it's partly how humans being kind of learned how to survive as social creatures, by caring, by loving. And we also have part of our psyche that's based in fear and scarcity and lack and division and separation. And, and, and that can also be a driving force to separate. So, so I see this practice as a way of cultivating the innate goodness. I mean, we, 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 we're born with innate goodness. We're born, if you've been around a, a, a baby or an infant, right? There's a, there's a sense of purity and love. You know, when they're not hungry and tired and anything else and then they're mad. But when they're not in that place, you know, what you feel is that beautiful radiance, uh, goodness, heartfulness, love, right? And that's our nature to be caring, to be kind. And we're, you know, we're biologically hardwired. Our, our happiness centers light up in the brain when we're caring and compassionate, right? We're, we're, we're socially wired to orient that way because it's how we survive as vulnerable, fleshy, not very fast running species, you know, we have to, we have to take care of each other. And we all have our challenges and limits, which is why we do this practice. You know, I, I, I often, when I'm coaching people and mentoring people, um, and then, you know, often people come in for support because they're challenged in a relationship and a team at work with spouses, with children or whatever. And, you know, the first thing I'll think about is, is having them train in this kind of practice because it really softens and opens the heart in relationship to those that we're struggling with. It's hard to both be mean to somebody and hate somebody and offering them love and kindness. Like it doesn't work. I mean, we can't hold both things at the same time. And usually when we're in conflict or in difficulty, we have a certain rigid self-centered perspective about this person. I'm right, they're wrong. I'm hurt, they're unjust, or whatever the story is. And we see that we, f- we fixate in a certain way. So it's hard to see any other way. It's hard to have any more any openings. So it's hard to 
feel any connection. And when we do loving kindness practice, it forces us to, to step out of our own little reactivity and see the person's situation from another point of view. Oh, this person just wants to be happy. This person's just like me, they're struggling and, and, and afraid. Or this person um, is vulnerable. You know? Oh, right, we share that. We, we have that as you know, kin in a certain way. There's a poem from Robert Bly called People Like Us. Pointing to this, he says, There are more people like us all over the world. There are confused people who can't remember the name of their dog when they wake up and people who love God but can't remember where he was when they went to sleep. It's all right. The world cleanses itself this way. A wrong number occurs to you in the middle of the night. You dial it. It rings just in time to save the house. And the second story man gets the wrong address where the insomniac lives and he's lonely and they talk and the thief goes back to college. And even in graduate school, you can wander into the wrong classroom and hear great poems lovingly spoken by the wrong professor. And you find yourself. So, you know, we're just human trying to figure it out and bumble our way along. You know, there's one, there's a phrase of, what is it? The path of awakening is moving from one mistake to another. It's kind of like life. You know, we bumble along. <laughs> and we need a lot of care and a lot of kindness with our humanness and with our foibles and with each other's foibles. So, and as I said, this quality is both something we can develop and it's an attitude as we were looking at in the way that we're orienting to ourselves. And it's a way of cultivating connection, a way of seeing our kinship with each other. I remember teaching a class up, at, up in the hill, up on the retreat center, and it was summer and there's a lot of bugs this particular year. And um, and this woman came on retreat and said, oh, I hate bugs and I hate anything crawls and I just kill everything that I see in my house. I just don't tolerate that kind of thing. And I said, well, you know, we have precepts here. You're not allowed to kill anything. You have to, you know, just tolerate, you know, even if it's, you know, creepy and crawly. And and she it was actually a loving-kindness retreat. And then halfway through the retreat, she um, she realized she couldn't, you know, there were flat flies were landing on it, and she realized she couldn't squash them anymore because she actually felt a sense of care. Like, this is a living being that, as much as I hate it, it also wants to live and be happy. And me squashing that is not very kind. Right? So even you know, so, we extend our hearts to, you know, other living creatures. And that's why these, you know, these centers of meditation, Buddhism, they're, they're refuges for animals. Right? There's, that's why the, this food is vegetarian. That's why, you know, there's a sense of refuge here. You know, the deers come and the turkeys come, and you know, even around Thanksgiving, the turkeys come. And you know, they know they're safe. You know, <laughs> so. You know, and it, can, and it can have a beautiful impact. You know, we mostly, we're mostly doing loving kindness practice for ourselves, even though we, we extend it to a lot of different people. We're really transforming our own heart, and it's, it's really where the work happens. And we can transform relationships by working on our own heart. And I've seen this time and again where people are in difficulty and struggle with somebody, and I suggest that they do some meta practice for them. And as they do that, something in their heart changes softens, can see some empathy with the other person, and so that relationship shifts. You know, we can do a lot of healing in the world by just working here, by working on our own, our own heart and mind.
So, um, so in terms of the nuts and the bolts of the practice, um, the way it's taught, I mean, I'm going to teach it today is mostly through phrases. As I said, there are different ways to practice. The Buddha, in the text, the only, the only reference to, to the meta practice was one sits and suffuses all beings everywhere with love and kindness. So that can be the instruction for the day. Just sit and shut up and suffuse all beings with love and kindness. So yourself, everybody here in the room, all the beings of the land, and outwards in ever-widening circles. And that's a beautiful way to practice. And some people, that's, that is how they practice loving kindness. You just sit and you just sense into that quality and you radiate. For most people, I think that's a little... Uh, challenging because there's not a lot going on there and, and it tends to just lead to spacing out. But play with that. I mean, play with that quality. You know, so, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm going to have us mostly use phrases, which are, I see the phrases as conduits for that radiant loving quality, right? So the phrases are uh, reminders that that's what we're doing. Because if we don't have reminders, You'll be radiating loving kindness and what's for dinner tonight? And radiating loving kindness and wow, this is a big room. I wonder how big this room is and radiating loving kindness and wow, I wonder how many creatures are on this land and wow, it's spring out there and you know, and just, you know what the mind's like. It just, just wanders every few seconds. So the, the phrases are like, they're just, they're, they're tethering to that orientation. Right? It's not about the phrases ultimately. It's about the the meaning behind the phrase. May you be peaceful. May you abide in loving kindness, or whatever your phrases are. That's the the you know. I think of the the phrases as the breath or the wind in which this kindness and care rides on. Right? And I actually say the phrases in tune with my breath. You don't need to, and I didn't do that purposefully. I just noticed that I do that. But every out-breath, I'll say a phrase, and I'll mostly I'll say the, the word like happiness or peace. And it's like, and I feel I feel the breath and the phrases are, is a way that the quality moves and, and uh, you know, breathes outwards to people and, and life. So you can play with that. <clears throat> And um, we start with ourselves. We don't have to start with ourselves. For some people, that's actually not the best place to start because the idea of the practice is you start easy and simply. And I don't know, maybe back in the day, it was easier to wish loving kindness for yourself, maybe pre-Judaic Christian culture. I don't know. It was easier in Buddhist times, perhaps, to start with oneself. You know, and Certainly, there are many cultures where the the relationship to self is not so problematic as it does seem to be, um, I'd say, in, in, in the West and, and elsewhere. But um, the idea is we start with, you know, cultivating this kind presence with ourselves because this this relationship is the, is the foundation for all other relationships. If we if we're contracted and reactive and resistant here then most likely whatever it is that we're reacting to here, we're going to be reacting to outside. And that's usually the way, right? If we find ourselves, as I'm writing this book on the inner critic, uh, and I was working on it this weekend, and um, and this, I think it was from Wayne Dyer, who said something like, every judgment you make about yourself is really a judgment about yourself. Everything that we act, react to in somebody else is because we're reacting to it in ourselves, right? We see the, the seed of it or the fullness of it here and we don't like it. And so, of course, what happens when we see it out there is we don't like it. 
We, we reject, we judge, we blame, we run away, we react. So I think of the meta practice as, you know, it's the, it's the, the rock tumbler where we, 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 we come up against ourselves and we, we meet with kindness all the ways that are, that are shut down or contracted or shut out or, you know, hurting. And we bring kindness as much as we can. Right? So the, 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 the practice is considered a purification practice in that it brings up that which gets in the way of your heart radiating. Right? So if, if there's people or places in yourself that are shut down, that's what will come up. So you might have thought coming on this day of loving kindness, you'll just be radiating loving kindness all day, which maybe you will, and that's fantastic. But and that may be true, and you will also be noticing. Oh, I notice when I, when I'm wishing loving kindness for my best friend, much as I love them, I'm actually really pissed off with them that they didn't come to my birthday last year, right? Or whatever way that we might feel shut down, you know. And so, so we we get to we get to see where the heart's closed, which is a good thing because if we don't see it. We're just acting it out. If we see it, we have a chance to understand, heal, let go, etc. So, you know, for the Buddha, he said, you know, practicing loving kindness with oneself, we are, you know, as he said about himself, he said, you know, I traveled the world with my mind and I saw there was no, no one more dear or more precious to ourselves than ourselves. We are, we are the, we are the most worthy of receiving our own kindness which is not necessarily how we always feel. So it's a good thing to, again, to interrupt that habit of self-judgment and self-negation by holding ourselves kindly. You know, we, 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 are, we often expect and demand that others, especially our loved ones and family and friends, do that. But if we're not doing that to ourselves, something off there. And we're going to be more insistent that other people do it if we can't do it to ourselves. And it's very unreliable to be waiting for others to do that. <laughs> it's not their business. It's nice when it happens, but it's not their business to do that for us. And we have to be the ones who are loving to ourselves. So, so this is where we start. We start, as, uh, as my, one of my teachers in India said, marry the one that will never leave you. Marry the one that will never leave you. And he wasn't talking about another person who will never leave you because ultimately everybody leaves us. Marry the one inside that never leaves you. What would that marriage be like? (laughs) Maybe stormy. (laughs) I can't believe you said that. I can't. (laughs) It's funny. So Oscar Wilde has this great line. He says, Loving oneself is the beginning of a lifelong love affair. Loving oneself is the beginning of a lifelong love affair. Stormy, tempestuous, but a love affair nonetheless. And, um, you know, for some of us, some of the hardest work we'll ever do is really embracing the fullness of ourselves with all of our insecurities and deficiencies and foibles and all the other stuff that's hard to be with, it's, it, it's the weather workers. Yeah. Unc- you know, just as we, we endeavor to, to love others unconditionally, right? how is it to 
love unconditionally ourselves. Right? Think about the places that you're least proud of or least open to in yourself. And imagine what it would be like to love those unconditionally. Whereas maybe it's loving your body. Yeah? Or loving your crazy mind. Or loving the emotion that's most difficult for you, like fear. You know, deficiency or anxiety. You know, I went through I went through a long bout of anxiety some years ago. It lasted many, many months, and it was very, very hard to be with as anxiety is, as, as many of these emotions are. But anxiety seems particularly hard to settle into because the very nature of it kind of bounces you out. And um, and the thing that healed that was love. Like when I finally could surrender into just loving myself in that anxious place, no matter how long or hard it was, the more I could soften my body and my nervous system in relationship to it with a loving presence, that's what allowed the whole thing to heal. Like It was almost like that was what it was waiting for. But it took, it took many months. Like It wasn't like, oh, I'll just love it. Mm, you know. <laughs> it was like, how do I wake up in the morning and feel that it's this clenched solar plexus and tightness in the heart? Oh, there it is again. All right, how do I soften and yield into that? Right? Or whatever your version of anxiety is. You know, we all carry our our burdens, right? And then out of that, we start to. Uh, it becomes more more accessible to feel that love for others because we see that everybody else has their own vulnerabilities and burdens. You know, another one of my. Favorite lines is, be kind to every person you meet because each person has been asked to carry a great burden. I think that might be a Sylvia Borstein line, but I'm not sure. But I love it. Because um, it's true. Because we all, we all know, if we look at ourselves and we look at our loved ones, we know that everyone carries a burden. Right? It might be a health issue, it might be a, a trauma, it might be just a life burden, it might be, who knows? We usually carry multiple burdens, actually. And so, um, how do we be kind with each other? Knowing that's true, even if we look around the room, everyone looks pretty happy here and pretty healthy, and, you know, but you scratch a little deeper, you know, as I do in my work as a coach or as a therapist or as a teacher, you know, there's plenty of burdens going around. This is from the Nisargadatta Maharaj, a great Indian teacher. He says, when you know beyond all doubt that the same life flows through all that is and you are that life, you will love all naturally and spontaneously. When you realize the depth and fullness of love, of your love of yourself, you know that every living being and the entire universe are included in your affection. And you can't help but radiate out. So... This is where we start. So I think without further ado, we should do some practice. <laughs> so if you need to stretch a little before we sit, please do. And please sit comfortably, especially with the loving kindness practice. It's hard to radiate kindness if your knees are screaming, sit on a chair, <laughs> move. So sit with ease.
What's that? Oh, a gray Subaru with lights flashing. Does that anybody here? No. Okay, thanks. Gray Subaru. You got that? Charcoal grain. No. Maybe a maybe a worker. <laughs> what, car, what? What's my car? <laughs> I think it's. Uh, yeah, yeah. There could be lots of people. Yeah, it could be people up someone up. There could be a commuter up the hill. It's a. It's a. It's it's a raffle. We'll raffle off at the end of the day. <laughs> Those whose heart is most radiant. Maybe it gets the super. <laughs> you know, heart math. Uh, do they have this? Yeah. You know, people are familiar with heart math institute. So they do great work around different, you know, variations of heart practices. And, and, I, and they have a, they have a, then they have a HRV heart rate variability where you can, where you can measure to some degree your, the, the, the quality of, Heartfulness. Yeah, they do really interesting work around around um, the heart, and and also, oh, yeah, check them out if you're interested. Heart Math Institute. Okay, so sitting comfortably, sitting at ease, <coughs> sitting as an expression of kindness to your body. attention to your chest, to your heart center. If it helps connect with your heart, you can put your hand on your chest. Just the very act of that actually registers in the nervous system. So support for self-regulation. And we'll start with a reflection about ourselves. They said that one of the causes for loving kindness to arise is to reflect on the goodness of the person that we're extending our hearts to, in this case ourselves. So taking a moment to sense into, reflect into your own goodness and how that's expressed through qualities, actions, things you do in the world that express your kindness, your care, maybe reflecting on ways that you're generous, the ways that you care and love others, animals, plants. And if that's not so accessible, just sensing into your wish to be happy.
And then I'll repeat some phrases. You're welcome to use these. You're welcome to use your own. The point is to have some simple mm, phrases that you can say and that you can apply them to everybody. You don't have to think about them every time. May you be safe. May you feel safe. <coughs> May you be healthy. May you feel healthy. Be happy. May you live with ease. And actually, I meant to say we're saying this in the first person, so I'll just repeat those phrases. May I feel safe. May I be healthy or as healthy as I'm able to be. May I feel happy, peaceful. May I live with ease. May I love and accept myself just as I am. May my heart be filled with loving kindness. Each time you say a phrase, see if you can sense into the meaning of the phrase and as a pebble drops into a pond, ripples downwards, feeling that in your body. May I feel safe in this moment. Be healthy. May I feel happiness. May I live with ease. and accept myself just as I am.
So saying these phrases or your own phrases slowly, meaningfully to yourself. If your mind wanders off, gently bring it back, sense your heart. Not looking to generate any particular feeling. Simply gather your intention behind each phrase. May I be safe. May I feel healthy. May I be happy. May I live with ease. May I love and accept myself just as I am.
you can stay with yourself or you can call to mind <clears throat> a person that's easy for you to feel a sense of love and care for. Maybe a family member, a child, teacher, Someone with whom, when you call them to mind, you feel a gladness in your heart, brings a smile to your face. And sense into their goodness, their good qualities. and extending your phrases of kindness to them, just as I wish to be safe, may you too feel safe. May you be healthy and strong in body, or as healthy as you're able to be, happy, peaceful. May you live with ease. So maintaining a strong sense of this person, visualizing them, saying their name, being watchful of not getting lost in just thinking about them, but staying simply with the phrases in your wish for them. May you too be safe. May you be healthy. May you be happy. May you live with ease.
far your attention wanders, takes a moment to come back, to recall a sense of this person, extend your wishes through these phrases. Call to mind a good friend. Again, someone you feel a sense of current warmth and connection with, where there's an ease in the friendship. Holding them in your heart, sensing their goodness, good qualities, visualizing them. Offering them your wishes, just as I wish to be, feel safe, may you too be safe. May you be healthy and strong. happy, peaceful. May you live with ease, or whatever your words are.
Lastly, extending this quality out. So there are many people in this room, those you know, those you don't know. And one of the beautiful ways we can extend our hearts is to those we don't know, those relative strangers. So those sitting either beside you or in front of you or behind you, particularly those you don't know, extending a sense of kindness to them. Again, knowing that we all wish to be happy, may you too be happy. May you too feel safe. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you love yourself just as you are. Sending this to everybody in the room. Everybody here in this land, the construction workers, the spirit rock staff, all the animals, the birds, the creatures in the creeks, in the soil. everywhere. Be safe and protected. May our life, all beings, be healthy and strong. May our life be happy and live with peace and harmony. There's a lovely poem that some of you will be familiar with by Derek Walcott, which really beautifully expresses this quality of kindness to oneself where we learn to welcome ourselves as we are. He says, um, the time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door and look in your own mirror and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat 
You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all of your life, whom you have ignored for another. Take down the love letters from the bookshelves, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit and feast on your life. Take down the love notes from the bookshelf, the photographs and the desperate notes. So I like that, the, the sentiment in that poem, the time will come when with elation we will greet ourselves at our own door in our own mirror and each will say to the other, welcome. Sit here and eat. Feast on your life. <clears throat> so I don't know how many of you wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, oh, welcome. <laughs> you know, oh, is there a few wrinkles more there? I didn't notice those yesterday. And <laughs> oh, I need to lose some weight. Oh, I need to, who knows what, you know. There's a lot of things we do when we look in the mirror. It's not, oh, welcome. <laughs> right? Or when we sense our body, or which, however way we behold ourselves, right? There's a lot of things we do that aren't so welcoming and inviting and kind and accepting. And and again, I think this is, you know, as I talked earlier about this integration of mindfulness and love, that partly why this practice so dovetail, dovetails so well with mindfulness practices, because with mindfulness we're cultivating this foundational, fundamental acceptance and allowing of experience and ourselves to be as it is, as we are. Right? So we're showing up moment after moment, being with what is. Right? And that is also so intimately related to love. Right? If you think about the qualities of a moment of, of, of mindfulness or awareness or presence, right? there. It's present, accepting, allowing, noticing, um, letting be. There's a quality of curiosity, of interest, of connection. And those qualities are all present with love. We're present, we're curious, we're accepting, we're allowing, we're letting be, we're curious, we're intimate, we're connected. Very similar qualities. So... um, uh, the, it's important that we cultivate both these, these when it's called two wings of the bird, the wings of awareness, the wings of compassion, because they support each other. And ultimately they become fused, they become this quality of loving presence, kind attention, compassionate awareness that we integrate into everything that we do, ideally. <clears throat> so, um, any comments, any questions about your practice? Or, uh, yes, please, you can get a mic. Yeah. So I um, took out the May and just said, I am happy, I am at peace, um, rather than may I be at. I, I don't know if that practice, how that practice should go, but that's kind of the what I did. And I'm not. And how was it when you did that? When you changed the phrases in that way? Um, it kind of identified that I already have that within me, mm. and um, rather than asking for it, it, mm-hmm. it already exists within me. And so mm-hmm. I was 
reminding myself that I am, you know, or just not reminding, but just that I have that within me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I think um, my only caveat to that is that when we don't, when that doesn't feel true, right? So, so, so what you're saying is more like an affirmation. I am happy, I am well, I'm safe, right? Which may or may not be true depending on circumstances, right? So um, the, the, the may I is less of asking, more wishing, so which is kind of different, right? In, in the, you know, in, I think in the theistic tradition, we're more asking for that, which is why it's, you know, metta is quite like prayer in a certain way, but it, we're really generating that wish for ourselves, so I would just say that it's just to be mindful of when you're using the I am, that it feels true. Because otherwise, it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's good to good to, to play with it and to see, you know, when, when that is true, then, you know, sometimes I just say the word happiness, which takes out all of those different, you know, whether affirmation or wishing and just happiness. And there's just... There's a tuning into that quality, as if I'm wishing it for myself. I'm not wishing; I'm just tuning into what's already here. It sounds like what you were doing, um, which is which which is a kind act in itself. Because what we what we pay attention to, what we turn our attention towards, allows that that thing to arise. Right. So if we keep turning our attention to judgment, or hatred, or fear. Then it's not a very kind thing to do because actually that's what that's what we become, right? If we turn our attention to well-being, ease, kindness, peace, love, whatever, that itself is expression of kindness because it's allowing that quality to be felt into and to emerge a little bit. So, yeah, you know, and it's you know it's the basis of neuroplasticity. What we pay attention to right, affects and transforms the brain and the structure and the personality and you know so where you know I, I think of the Buddha as the, f- uh, the first neuroscientist who understood that we, tr- we by training by cultivating we change the mind we change the brain he wasn't using the language of the brain he was using the language of the mind and the heart but it's the same thing right? what we pay attention to we become right? cultivate love more like to be loving <laughs> cultivate patience more like to be patient Cultivate anger and aversion, more likely to be aversive. <laughs> right? So, and I, I often ask myself, what am I cultivating in this moment? What am I cultivating in this day? Am I cultivating reactivity and intolerance or kindness? So, not as a judgment, but more as a like, oh, what, what's, what serves? Like, what, what is really prudent? Yes. It was very nice to wish myself. <laughs> okay. you, you have to sing your question <laughs> and stand. So and restful. Uh, <laughs> um, it was <clears throat> fine to wish myself happiness and to wish some distant friend happiness. But when I was wishing safety and health to my kids, I basically felt the beginnings of a heart attack. Mm. And I was curious to note that. that mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you make of that? going to ask you. Oh. <laughs> I always reflect back the difficult questions. Uh, safety, and what was it? Safety and? Health. Health. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Well, I imagine you care a lot about their safety and their health. And it's also out of your control. How old are they? Uh, 21 and 17. Yeah. So somewhat largely out of your control, right? (laughs) (laughs) Does that bring up a little terror? Now my palms are sweating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, right. And that comes because you love them, right? You love them and you care about them. You care about their safety and their health, of course. And it brings up the vulnerability as a parent or as a you're not you can't control that and that's one of the challenges of being being human being a parent is how you love deeply and unconditionally and hold that it's it's scary because you who knows what's going to happen to them hopefully wonderful things and safety and love and happens and life is life life isn't safe and life isn't full of health and that's reality right so you breathe through it, or how do you? Yeah. Well, you first you meet you st- you and you, st- you 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 get curious about what that is. What is it? Is it fear? Is it terror? Is it is it losing control? Is it you know what you know? So you get curious about it, and then and then once you get more clear about what it is, then then you meet it with a kind attention first and foremost, right? Because it's suffer. It's a painful state, right? To be panicking, right? And you also work, you know, cognitively with, with so, so, you know, again, under, coming to the understanding, what is this? And what am I doing with my mind that's triggering a panic attack that's not so helpful? Right? Is this, is another way I could be with this or hold that? It's a, it's a truth and it's reality, right? We don't have control over the ones we love, you know. And how can I hold that and not drive myself crazy, right? So, which might mean not thinking about every worst case scenario that they could get into, for instance, right? Which we do, right? Um, and, you know, the, the, the bigger context of this practice is the Buddha taught these in, in a, in a set of four practices. Love, compassion, which is love turned to pain, joy, appreciative joy, which is love the heart turned towards happiness, happiness of others, and equanimity. And the equanimity phrase in the context of this set of four practices, the first three are, are generative expressions of our wish. May you be happy, may you be free of suffering, may you may your joy continue, right? There's the first three practices. The fourth one is no matter what I wish for you, your happiness or your unhappiness is not is dependent on your actions, not on my wishes for you. So it's coming back to this fundamental ground that however much I love you and however much I care for you, and even if I have, um, uh, even if I'm, you're in my care as a parent, I still don't have, your happiness and your well-being ultimately is not up to me, right? And you know that as a parent. And so it's coming, it's helping us find a radical acceptance with that reality. I love and I let go. I love and I, I know that, I mean, life is going to happen as it happens. And I meet that as best as I can as it happens. Right? And they, that's not easy, right? And then if you're with, you know, with, with children and, you know, and people close to us, of course we care deeply and of course we might get scared and fearful if we think about them getting sick or whatever, you know, whatever worst case scenario is. And then, and then when, when, when we're in that place, then we soothe ourselves with kindness and love and like, and, and understanding. Of course you're, you're panicking because you, you know, love this person so much, right? 
and life also forces us to let go on you know let let go of that of the grip not the love but the grip let go of the the need to control when we can't ultimately right? so it's coming out of compassion not out of i should let go like it's coming out of oh it's painful to be holding on this tight i can love as deeply but not with so much fear in it right and it's you know it's that, that's the, the razor's edge Right, and, and, and our usual response to that was, "Well, I'm not going to care. I'm going to distance myself because it's too painful." Right, just as if we, you know, we've had relationships where we've had heartbreak, and then the next one's like, "Well, I'm just going to be really detached. I'm just not going to get that embroiled. You know, I'm just going to, you know." And it, you know, it's one strategy, but it's also suffering. You know, because holding ourselves back from life is painful. You know, and that's one of the, you know, it's the challenge of being human. You know, so I just say, if it comes up again, just just you know, hold it, hold yourself kindly, because in that moment you're the one who's suffering. Your kids are just having a final time doing their thing, <laughs> safe or unsafe, or who knows, you know, anything, anything in between. So you're the one in that moment, you know, triggered by a thought, triggered by a th- probably a scenario that's not actually happening. We feel the pain of that, and we and we meet it with love, as much as you're able to. Right? Yeah. So in that way, it's a purification. In that, I would say, keep wishing meta for your kids, and if it, and, and keep allowing that to come up, not as a way of masochism, but as a way of oh, how can I work with this reality so I can actually hold that they are, you know, potentially unsafe and actually not panic, right? You know, it's not easy. Or you, or you don't have to do that, you know. But <laughs> if that's too much, too difficult. But um, you know, practice is a training for life, right? So you will get a call at some point, and like, and they're in some difficult situation in Asia or somewhere or wherever they're traveling, and and this practice will serve you because you've worked with the pain, you work with the pain and the fear, and you'll probably have more access to groundedness when they need your help because they're in distress. Because you're re- you're learning to regulate here, so when they're dysregulated and they call you, you will have you know better um, capacity. Right? That's the training. You know, it doesn't always work, but it usually helps. <laughs> you know, yeah, good. I'm sure every parent who's nodding can can relate, right? To you know, loving and also not, you know. Holding that uncertainty, yeah. I know a parent, or you know, anybody who loves anybody. You know, we have to deal with that uncertainty of the safety of our loved ones and well-being or their health, right? sickness. Other questions, comments? Yes, those two. In the um, guided meditation we just did, you didn't address the difficult person. Was that on present, (laughs) on purpose? (laughs) That's the next class. (laughs) Too much. No, I start easy. Start easy. So we'll do some. We'll do. We'll we'll bring him in this afternoon. We'll we'll beat them up and we'll beat them up with meta. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think it's good to, you know. Start slow, easy, you know, and 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 it, it, you know. I think it's, you know, and this is true in in our daily practice. You know, sometimes it's it's helpful just to bathe in metta 
and not bring up the most difficult person that really works us, right? It's good to bring up difficult people that work us, but sometimes it's also just as am. I'm just going to feel love for those I feel love for and just bathe in that quality. It's a beautiful thing for the heart and the mind and the nervous system to to, to access. Oh, I actually, I, I am loving, and, I, and, and I, there's a, actually quite a wide range of people I love. How lovely to feel into that, right? Just as useful as working with someone who it's really challenging for us and we're really wrestling with that or someone who brings up fear, you know, that's also great practice, but it doesn't always have to be hard. <laughs> you know, we think, oh, you know, if I'm not struggling, then it's not real practice, right? And it's lovely just to, to feel into love for ourselves or for, you know, friends and people we care about and, you know, I introduced a neutral person, you know, the, someone we don't know so well, because that's, I think, is equally important, because that's most of the world. Most of the world, we don't know, and we don't feel that much for. We feel neutral towards a lot of strangers and people on the bus and the stores and the banks. And I think it's really important that we bring kindness to that, to learn how to work with people we know nothing about, that we just have a basic goodwill towards, you know. And I think that that part of the practice is equally as important as working with the difficult people, which is usually more few and far between. There's a lot more neutral people out there that we don't even notice because they're neutral to us than the people we have antagonism towards. So we'll get there. <laughs> and I'm sure for some of you, they already just came right in. What about me? <laughs> How about sending love this way? <laughs> yeah, and I, I was I was uh, offering meta to a friend who I've had a lot of conflict with over the years, and you know, I brought him up because I just I just trust whoever comes up, and oh, my good friend, all oh, right, oh, this is a weird, weird. we're in a difficult place in our friendship, and we have been for a year. It's like, ooh. right. So sometimes we bring up people that we love and care about, and it's like that's actually a lot of work because the relationship is challenging. So. I found the silliest thing with myself in the beginning, choosing who I would. It was like three or four people vying for me, me, pick me, pick me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going, you said one person. I got, I kind of got caught up in that, and I could see one and then reflect back to another and another, and it was like three heads coming in, uh-huh. So, uh-huh. which was a little um, distracting uh-huh. to actually get into the actual loving kindness. Because uh-huh. they kept vying for attention. Which one it was, yes. Uh-huh. Well, you can do all three. That's okay. what I relax yeah. with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, different things happen in the practice, right? Sometimes, you know, we take time to work with one person because it's really useful to just keep being steady with one person. And, you know, usually the first round of phrases, it's, you know, I find it's pretty easy to say to anybody. And But if I have to say it 25 times, it's like, oh, I have to really keep really coming back to this person in my you know, like digging deeper in my in my heart to wish them well. So there has value to that going, you know, with one person. And it's fine if, you know, a whole horde of people, you know, your classmates call suddenly pile in or your you know, extended family or your team or you no, know, it ultimately doesn't matter. If if that orientation of kindness and the and the wishing is there then you know, whether it's one or twenty, ultimately doesn't matter. 
So, um, yeah, so, you know, and some people practice, I know Sylvia often practices this sort of conveyor belt style where you just, you know, you just, just, there's a people line, long line of people coming up, lining up, and you just, you know, you just wish them well. And then the person comes in, you wish them well, and, you know, I have this, I have this couple that I, that I'm very close to, and, um, and the way, and I was on a long retreat doing meta for them, and every, every meta, I would do it, they would be competing. It's like, no, it's my turn. <laughs> so I'd do them. And then, no, that was my turn. <laughs> and which is kind of how they are in life, actually. So it was very cute. So, you know, and, and, and it's, 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 it's fun to bring that in because it, it's juicy, right? It's, and, and it's, it's alive. So you, and you want to try and make it juicy and alive. Because sometimes it can be quite dry, you know, the saying phrase after phrase and, yeah. Other comments, questions? Yes, you got the mic. I do have the mic. Um, so it might take me a minute to kind of um, get this out. So one of the things that I was struggling with in this meditation, um, after many Dharma talks over the years, I think um, Jack Jack always says um, that we do this work so that we can have, I don't know if it's the strength or the courage to bear witness to it all. Mm-hmm. So the idea that um, we do this work not to, to always have a better experience or to improve our lives, but to, to be free mm-hmm. and to be free from the need to always have a better experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I uh, did the meta practice for myself, I, I found that to be the most difficult, not for the traditional reasons that I have a harsh inner critic or I don't want to be kind to myself, but this idea that um, I've, I felt like I shouldn't be asking for things that would, where my happiness would be dependent on circumstances, such as safety or mm-hmm. health. Mm-hmm. So it brought up a lot of fear and grief around, like, no, I, I should be at this place now where I'm just, um, my deepest wish for myself is so that I have the strength to bear witness to it all, not so that I want things to turn out a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that that's not really the nature or the essence of, this meditation, but that's just what was bubbling up for mm-hmm. me, like uncontrollably. Like I mm. can't, I don't want to ask for help because then what if an illness emerges? Mm-hmm. I don't want to ask for safety because we're not always safe. So mm-hmm. what I want to ask for is, yeah, just that I can be with whatever happens. So mm-hmm. how do I work with those two things? Mm-hmm. Because of course, secretly I want to be happy and safe. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, of course. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you, I mean, you could, you could put that in a phrase, you know, may I be unconditionally at ease with whatever circumstances arise in my life. Like, I mean, you, you could shorten it, you know, you know, may I have equanimity is really what you're saying. May I, may I be at ease, you know, may I be at ease is actually that phrase. May I be at ease as in may my, not, I mean, it's partly may my life be, may I live my life with ease and not full of stress and complications. But it could also be may I be at ease with life as in with whatever shows up, may I, be able to bear witness may i be able to find that you know unconditional presence that's unwavering right that's possible at times so you know so that could be part of your practice is is you just you know that maybe that's your primary wish may i find that that steadiness to bear witness with everything um i think it's a beautiful intention you know and um and so that's one piece of it. And I, I, I couldn't help thinking your critic was getting involved in there, and your, your meditation critic of like, oh, well, I should be able to be at 
peace, whether I'm safe or not, or happy or not, or, right? Which, of course, is ultimately possible, right? We can find that place of profound equanimity with whatever's going on. And we're human. <laughs> that also desire safety and health and happiness and well-being. And so it, it, we are holding the, that duality, you know. And we're aspiring to be at ease with wherever we are, right? unconditional well-being and, and uh, kindness with whatever the circumstances, whether we're alive or dying or not. Um, and we're also meeting our humanness, which desires to be safe and healthy. Right? Both are true, you know. So, um, you know, when I see this, why, why I say the phrase around health may I be healthy or as healthy as I'm able to be, because you can be wishing meta for someone who's dying, as I do. I have a friend who has cancer and is deteriorating, and I wish her to be healthy, even though I know she's dying. I, I wish her to be as healthy as she can be in her dying state. Right? I wish her to be as well as she can be in her dying state, dying condition. Right? So, um, does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So it, it's there's a lot of paradox in practice, and 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 there's certainly a lot of paradox in meta. May all beings be well. Well, that's great, but half the beings have to eat the other beings to be well. So, how does that work? Well, you, you know, we know. And I, you know, I'm out in nature less. So I see this and I, I see the hawks. I love the hawks and I see the birds that they're chasing and I want them both to be well and one has to eat the other to survive. Right? They're not going to get tofu, you know, from whole foods. They're going to, it's going to be mouse, gopher or bird, right? So, and sometimes I'm watching that happen, right? And I'm, and I'm, I am wishing both to be well, even though one is attacking the other. You know, I'm wanting. I'm mostly wanting. You know, I'm sort of feeling for the underdog, but I'm also caring for the hawk's breakfast. You know, and and it, and and the heart can hold both. The mind can't hold that paradox. It's too. The, for the mind, it's either or. Or it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How can you wish for everybody to be happy? Well, the heart wants everybody to be happy, even if someone's dying. You wish them to be happy. It's just that's what the heart wishes. The mind goes, how can they be happy they're dying? It doesn't make sense. But the heart's like, no, I care for you. I love you. You know, Even as you transition from this life, may you be happy. Right? How, even if we can't logically make sense of what that is. It's like that's the inclination of the heart. It's the heart's nature. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So you, you, so you wish yourself whatever, you know, whatever, whatever makes sense to you in a certain way. Yeah, here's a hand at the back. So when I have experienced in my meta practice, um, when I'm wishing myself happiness, um, well-being, safety, etc., sometimes this feeling comes over me that is just, I can't describe what it feels like, but it brings a tear to my eye. It makes me feel very connected. It's not a sadness but it's just, it's almost like a being. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. It doesn't happen all the time, but mm-hmm. it just happened this time. So mm-hmm. have you had anyone have that experience? Um, I'm just wondering what Yeah. the sense of sort of connecting. I don't know <clears throat> what it is. So you feel connected? Yeah, it's this connecting into something deeper. Mm-hmm. 
spiritual maybe mm-hmm. I, it's hard to put into words yeah yeah no i think it's definitely part of what happens in meta practice is we feel a sense of you know the words don't necessarily it's hard to put into words some of these feelings right mm-hmm. so i to me what it's you know in my language i'd call it a poignancy there's a poignancy there's a vulnerability mm-hmm. there's a tenderness mm-hmm. there's a connectedness there's a there's a sweetness um there's uh yeah it's a, it's a visceral sort of humanness as a um but I, I i if i was to phrase it it's a poignant tenderness you know and it's just recognizing our humanity and the vulnerability and the beauty in that and the sensitivity in that it's like so it's a sensitivity yeah. um and that's what happens when we're more in our heart not our head when we, when we drop, we're able to drop in and feel into that more visceral, human, vulnerable, alive, connected state. And that's that's a quality of the heart, you know, quality of matter in a way. And it's beautiful, you know, and it's a beautiful place to access in our life because it's it also feels very real. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, right, this is this is it's full. Right, it's embodied. It's alive. It's connected. Right. That's 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 a much richer dimension of our human experience. Right. Usually we're busy. We're rushing. We're more in our heads. We're doing. Right. And there's there's not there's not that sensitivity. Right. Our, 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 the way we live our lives, the speed, the rushing. Right. Doesn't. You're probably not feeling that in a traffic jam when you're late for a meeting at work. Right. It's just. It's like you just. Right. But when we soften and open and drop some of the guardedness and we feel our connectivity, we feel a lot more richness, juiciness, tenderness. It's a a lovely qualities to access. Thank you. Yeah, happy that you speak to those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, partly, you know, what this, you know, as we, you know, as we wake up our heart, or as we fan the embers of the heart, we are becoming more human in a certain way. We, you know, there's a fullness to our humanness. Um, it's more alive. It's more juicy. It's more connected. It's more real in a certain way. Um, and it has a certain vulnerability in it. You know, being human is vulnerable. Right, because we're subject to sickness and 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 loss and you know all kinds of things, pain that we're conscious of, that we can anticipate, that we can empathize with others, and it's you know it's a, it's a lot going on here, and mostly because it's tender and vulnerable and not so easy, we choose not to live here. We go upstairs, you know, we go up top. Because it's kind of easy to function and get on with your to-do list, if you're not, you know, caught in the, the sensitivity and the, you know. But it's a it's a much more um, two-dimensional life if we live from from the head, not from the heart. So you know, I, I think the the Dalai Lama is a beautiful example of someone who's you know very dynamic. He's very prolific. He travels around the world. He's you know he's serving an immense amount of people. And he cries at the drop of the hat. He'll hear about someone's pain and he'll be tearing and weeping. Like he's very alive in that way in his heart. It's beautiful. And he's very powerful. Right? He's able to navigate through his practice, right? He's, I mean, he's probably done 
tens of thousands of hours of you know compassion practice of some kind or another. Made it, his his heart is very accessible. It's beautiful, you know, and he's very brilliant as well, you know, with his mind. So we can have we you know we can have that range. I think range is really important, but it also takes work. It's not where for many of us it's not where we feel so comfortable to hanging out. Um, so, yeah. So I think I think of the I think of practice in general, and then meta practice particularly or these heart practices as they're tenderizing practices. They tenderize the heart, and they make it more accessible in their lives. Make it more fluid, more open. And the the risk of that is we feel more. <laughs> we feel more joy, and we feel more love. And we feel more connection, but we also feel more compassion, which is we feel more pain. We feel the suffering of the world. We feel the suffering of the taxi driver. We feel the suffering of the snail who just got run over. We feel the suffering of the children stuck in, you know, on this Turkish border. We, you know, we, we feel more. And that's a, and a sort of uncomfortable place to hang out, you know. We might feel more rage at, at the political system. We might, you know, it's just a, it's a lot more hot. Um, I think it's more alive. I'd much rather live there than shut down. You know, it's, it's always a choice. And um, many people either choose or just that's all they know is to shut down and live from that guarded place because that's safer because of the pain they've been through. But it's a, it's a, it's a more impoverished life. And and then when the heart is more open, then we're much less likely to inflict suffering. When our heart's closed down, much easier to be cruel, to be harsh, to be unkind, to be unconsiderate, to be unempathic, and all the stuff that arises from that. But when you're in this place that's more poignant, where we feel this, the humanness, we feel uh, empathy with life, you know, when we're shopping and looking at the the rows of pork chops, we realize that is a pig. That is a very sensitive, emotional being. Do I want to eat that? I'm not sure. You know, maybe my body needs it, but maybe my heart is the last thing it wants to eat. So it it, we, we, it impacts uh, you know everything that we do in a beautiful way. And then, of course, there's plenty of times we don't ex- touch that. We experience, and I'm sure, a good percent, you know, a percentage of the room didn't feel anything in the practice. You know, so I just want to normalize what happens in the practice. Sometimes, you know, it's really boring. <laughs> it's really flat. It's numb. It feels rote. It feels dry. It feels like, I feel much more 
love going on a hike than I do doing that loving kindness practice, you know, as often I do because I love being in nature and it's one of the places that most easily moves my heart. So, you know, to welcome all of it, you know, to know that it's a practice. And at times we feel a lot, sometimes we feel little, sometimes we feel nothing. And the power of the practice, I think, and it's certainly, you know, talked about in the teaching, but also in my experience teaching many, many people over the years, is that there's a power to just turning the attention that way over and over and over, you know, steadily, patiently. You know, this story, I was just writing about it the other day, of this woman who um, I was teaching a meta retreat at IMS, Insight Meditation Society on the East Coast, and um, she was a farmer and she came and she was young and and seemed to be quite shut down and she sat down and I said, what's going on? She said, I just feel frozen. I said, I, she said, I feel like there's this big walnut in my heart that's just tight and hard and um, and I'm just, I just feel numb and I'm hating this practice. It's just making me feel how numb I am. And I said, well, you know, that's okay. Just see if you can you know, bring some curiosity, um, just as, as as we're exploring with you, bring some curiosity, what is this, what, what's this nut in your heart, what's this hardness, what's the tightness, what's the frozenness, and just see, without trying to get rid of it, or an agenda that you should be different, just you know, see if you can bring a loving attention to that, because that's what's here. So she came back in a few days, and and we checked in, and she and she said and she was very different. She was a lot softer and 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 more more this sort of poignant, opened up place. And she said, you know, what happened was I I started you know being a, you know using this farming analogy. She said I I could see it was like a seed that was closed that needed uh, watering, needed my tears, needed my loving attention. And it was a way that I just closed off to myself and I wasn't giving myself kind attention and care. And so just that being that week of being there, learning to open to herself with a, with a softness, with a tenderness. And she said it started melting this, the tightness. She said, I can, and in the end, at the end of the retreat, she had, could feel this little sapling, this little tender shoot of the walnut, you know, cracked open. There's a little light gets in, a little shoot, you know, a little, Hope or possibility. Oh, right. This it is possible to to harden this, to soften this hardness, the coldness, or whatever. So, so the the you know it's lovely that we've had all this rain this last week. So that the Buddha sometimes referred to metta as gentle rain that falls equally, right? And and sometimes the, it's the rain of our attention, it's the rain of our tears, it's the rain of our tenderness. We just oh this oh and this. And this, yeah. hmm. yes. Well, last question, then we're going to wrap up for lunch. I sometimes is it on? It maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Good, I don't hear myself. That's good. <clears throat> um, I sometimes have wanted to take meta just a little deeper, but I don't want to use that as a interpretation. But just for me with uh, may I know ease, just adding may I know ease with uncertainty mm-hmm. or in uncertainty. Yeah, great. Or yeah. may I be safe, mm-hmm. may I know safety mm-hmm. when I'm unsafe. Because mm-hmm. it, you know, like walking over precarious boulders, I mean, it, it just, 
it's like I'm a little unsafe, but in that deeper place inside, you know you're safe. Um, But it just adds, for me, it just adds uh, an inclusiveness. Um, I also miss not doing it with the person that brings up the most for us today. Plenty of time. Yeah. For sure, yeah. Yep, yep. It forces us to do that work for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, we're gonna have lunch in a minute. You can bring him in all lunchtime, and um, yeah. No, I, th- I think, I think, um, you know, just as you were pointing to around equanimity and being, you know, radically, you know. Uh, at ease, or you know, I think it's it's fine to use the phrases, and then our phrases change over time. It tuned to what we, where we are, what's needed. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, I think we're going to take a, brunt, a lunch break shortly. I thought we'd have more time for practice, but it's amazing how quickly the morning goes. Um, did everybody bring lunch here? Do you have? Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm going to suggest we keep this whole silent. So those of you who wish to continue meditating or just being quiet, you can rest in here after lunch. Um, so we'll keep this as a quiet space, but you're welcome to also go outside. And um, there's a retreat going on up the hill, so we ask that you not walk beyond that gate up there. But aside from that, there's there's trails up here in the woods and. It's beautiful to um, take this practice outside. I was gonna, I was hoping we'd do some walking practice this morning, but we ran out of time. But um, I'm going to share if I can find this poem, Mary Oliver poem. Um, you know, one of the things I love about the meta practice is it's very portable, right? It just requires, it's just a phrase. You just, it's just a remembering to wish well, right? So we're walking outside and you're walking past the, you know, birds or the snails or the, the fawns or the turkeys or whatever it is, you know, to, to remember to just extend that sense of well wishing to the forest, to the frogs in the creek, to, the beings underground. I love when I, when I do meta. I love to think about all the hibernating beings that are still waiting underneath us, like the rattlesnakes, which might be challenging for some of you to wish meta for rattlesnakes, but they want to be happy too. They just want to bite you. That's all. <laughs> well, actually, they don't. They want to be, run away from you. So this is a poem from Mary Oliver. She says, My work is loving the world. Here the sunflowers, there the hummingbird, equal seekers of sweetness. Here the quickening yeast, there the blue plums. Here the clam deep in the speckled sand. Are my boots old? Is my coat torn? Am I no longer young and still not half perfect? Let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. My work, which is... Uh, the sh- the sh- um, which is mostly rejoicing since all the ingredients are here and my work which is gratitude to be given a mind and a heart and these body clothes 
a mouth with which to give shouts of joy to the moth and wren and the sleepy dug-up clam. My work is loving the world. Mm-hmm. So, so when you go outside after lunch or when you're eating your lunch, you know, see what it's like to extend kindness to the beings, land, to the people you see, to the people here, to the conversations you're in. Yeah? The idea is that we, it's an orientation, right? It's, we just learn to bring this care wherever we are. Um, so we'll take an hour for lunch and then we'll come back if, uh, so if the bell, who's ringing the bell? Somebody here is ringing the bell at one thirty. So one last thing before lunch is I just want to talk about, uh, Dana here, which is, um, something that is, uh, important cultural value here in the Buddhist tradition, also at Spirit Rock. Um, we will be slightly changing this or, um, way of doing this next month. But anyhow, for now, um, how the system works is um, um, the, in, in the Buddhist tradition that the teachings are considered priceless and, and, the, and, and when you go to a monastery or temple in Southeast Asia, in Thailand, in Burma, and elsewhere, Sri Lanka, you, you, you can attend teachings and stay at monasteries for free because the culture locally, the people around them support them. And so the idea was we bring brought flavors of that back to this in this tradition to to the states and Europe and elsewhere. And um, so when you come to a teaching like this or a retreat, um, the teachings are offered as inexpensively as possible, given our you know operating budget as a nonprofit and whatnot. And the teachers um, are not paid for their services. We don't receive any benefits or any uh, compensation or nice 401ks or anything like that. It's um, it's an interesting livelihood. And we rely on the support of the community. So we, um, so, so substantial part of my livelihood comes from um, dana, from generosity, from people who've attended my classes and courses and uh, teachings here and elsewhere. And, um, and so I'm here partly because of other people's generosity and, and, you're invited at the end of each course or teaching or practice to participate in this culture of generosity by supporting, in this case, the teacher. If you're up the hill, you're also invited to support the, the, the retreat staff. Um, and um, so there's baskets in the hall in the foyer where you are invited to offer um, whatever, whatever your heart feels drawn to offering in support of my work and continuing, allowing me to continue my teaching. So there's no right amount, there's no set amount, it's purely voluntary, but it's a, it's, it's a lovely practice in terms of, of when you, you know, as part of this tradition to learning how to support and value and, and, and appreciate the, the teachings and the teachers. So. back everybody how was your lunch exuding loving kindness in all directions to all beings everywhere <laughs> in all moments <laughs> to all sandwiches <laughs> or not as the case may be
Did people practice loving kindness outside? Someone said they were doing practice loving kindness to turkeys. <laughs> so eccentric. <laughs> yeah. hmm. So that I was thinking about uh, the comments about parenting and this um, poem from Mary Oliver seemed to strike a chord about how we hold both love and letting go at the same time. She says, Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. <clears throat> and every year and everything I've learned in my lifetime leads back to this, to the fires and to the black rivers of loss whose other side is salvation whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, we must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against our bones, knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. When the time comes to let it go, to let it go. So I think that's a beautiful way of holding that paradox. Not that we let go as in, well, I don't care anymore, but we let go of the the the, the bind, the... Uh, the control or the attachment or the demand of life or experience be a certain way or conform to our needs or wishes. Or, right? So, but we don't just skip to the third, the third piece, right? To love what is mortal, to love what is here, right? To hold it against our bones, knowing our own life depends on it, which means we have to care deeply, intimately, and also to hold it with open hands, not, you know, doing this. We can't crush the flower, you know, it doesn't work. However much we love the flower or the person, we have to also... Right? And so this is a you know, maybe a good segue into uh, some exploration this afternoon around um, <clears throat> um, both looking at what gets in the way, you know, the... the, the what, what, why isn't this quality of boundless love so available if if it is our nature to be loving and kind how come so many so much of the time it feels distant or unavailable and so for each of us it's important to ask that question where where are the hindrances where are the blocks where are the obstacles where where's the boundary of my kindness you know where's the boundary of my love with my friends or family when things are difficult, you know? Where's the boundary of my love when someone has an opposing worldview or political view? You know? Where's the obstacle around caring for myself or my body or um, my sleep or, you know, whatever aspect of our life that seems to be... Uh, Lacking care, lacking attention. And so for each of us, it's important to, to explore what, 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 where does my heart close in life? And what allows it to open? What allows, you know, obviously coming to someone like this, being in nature, being around like-minded people, cultivating practices, right? These are all supports. And what helps us see where it closed. And where do we close? 
and how do we close and why do we close and and then, of course, there's a natural ebb and flow of, of the heart, just as in life, there's opening, closing, right? It's not like we're going to be like this and you're stuck on open. Okay, I love everything everywhere. Okay, I love it. Right? I mean, maybe they have. I mean, there are certainly people like that, seemingly, but, you know, I'm sure they have their bad days. <coughs> I was reading this amazing article this weekend, this woman <coughs> who was an um, Indian woman. She was married when she was 10. She had a child, she was pregnant when she was 20. She had a very abusive husband who kicked her out of the home when she was nine months pregnant. She was home, uh, went back to her family of origin. Her family refused to take her in, which is often culturally what happens. Um, and and then so she was on the streets with her homeless child, with both homeless and a child, and at the twenty years old. Um, and she was living at the train station, which a lot of homeless people do in India, and. Um, she realized she was look, started to look around and see and there was how many other abandoned children there were at the train station. So she started to uh, beg uh, so she could feed the other homeless uh, abandoned children. And so, and this went on for you know for I think fifty, sixty years. She's been she's been doing you know taking abandoned orphans in homeless. Um, she's raised a thousand, over a thousand children through and through. Begging and asking for donations and incredible capacity of the heart to both endure what would seem like insurmountable suffering and also, you know, she even, you know, in that, perhaps because she was in that very destitute, abandoned state, she was also able to look around and see, oh, this is not, I'm not alone here. This is so many other people similarly in a wretched state. So, no, it's a very moving uh, story. I forget why now I'm saying that in the context of what I was saying earlier, but it doesn't matter because it's a good story. But <laughs> it shows the tenacity of the heart, you know. <clears throat> no, and, and you know, this, I'm sure we all know people or have stories of where that, you know, people have come from incredibly painful traumatized situations and still you know the heart may get hurt i don't think the heart breaks it gets closed down it might numb out but it doesn't break and it has tremendous capacity to endure to love so as rumi says your task is not to seek for love but to search for all the obstacles that you have built against it so you know, sometimes we, we hunger, hunger for love, and yet um, what we don't look to is to see how available it is within our own being and to see what is obscuring that. So, so what barriers have you built against love or your own heart? You know, sometimes out of a lot of pain, that we shut down, we close, we put up the walls, we refuse to be vulnerable again in relationship or in love or in families. And, you know, it's so interesting that this practice is about connection. And when asked why people are here, so much of the motivation was because of the disruptions in connection. The challenges in connection. You know, those those 
those people, <laughs> those people that we can't live with or live without, right? It's challenging. Rilke says, for one human being to love another, that is perhaps the most difficult of our tasks, the ultimate, the, the last test and proof, the work for which all other work is but preparation. To love one another is perhaps the hardest task. Sometimes I find it consoling when I read things like that. (laughs) Oh, there's a reason why it's so hard. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm not the only one who's challenged. Yeah. Yeah. So, and one of the, you know, the, the barriers, the obstacles that I think is, behooves us to, 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 to lean into and turn towards is our own suffering and the ways that we've, we, we've been hurt and therefore led to the heart closing. Because, right? you know, the heart, you know, we, the heart doesn't close in and of itself. It closes due to conditions and, and just like everything else is conditioned in this world. And so given the right conditions, we flower. Given the wrong conditions, it, 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 it recoils. Right? So to understand where we suffer, where we contract, where we're in pain, and, and to, 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 to look into how we meet that, how we hold that. Right? Because, the, you know, how we work with our own challenges and struggles is really a metaphor for how we are in meeting that and other people in life and situations. So, and of course, the the flowering of compassion is this capacity, the the, the loving heart oriented, turned towards difficulty. Right? When a heart is open, and we meet sadness, sorrow, loss, pain, grief, etc., in others or in ourselves, the response is a care, is a warmth, is a kindness. That's the potential. That's the capacity. We have tremendous, just like this, this, this homeless woman, tremendous capacity for compassion, even in the midst of a lot of suffering. And I would say the, the, the key thing was for her not, was to not turn away, but to stay open and turn towards and just, and just looked around and despite her wretched condition could see, oh, just as I have suffering and look at all this other suffering around me, that we are in this together that we all experience vulnerability and loss and pain. So it's a good question to ask yourself, how am I, you know, again, this is where the practice of mindfulness and and, and heartfulness come together because in a mindfulness practice, we're learning to meet whatever it is, including pain, including Emptiness and loneliness and fear and despair and anxiety. Right? So we get to practice turning towards, leaning into, but not with a coolness, but with a kindness, with a care. Just as I was forced to do with, with the anxiety and just as we're forced to do with many things, with losses, pain. Or we contract and we recoil and we harden. Just like the the woman the, with the the walnut in her heart hardens. So I, I share this story if I can find it. Um, 
about one way this particular person was meeting suffering, and I think it's a great metaphor for um, how simple you know we can we can get very philosophical and elaborate about these qualities, but they're really very simple. Like, how do I show up with the next person in front of me, you know, at work, at home, or myself? So this is a story about a cab driver who's um, on a late shift, and um, he's picking up his last call of the night. And, uh, you know, this is just a good example of how this quality of care can express itself. So he says, I arrived at the, the address and honked the horn. After waiting a few minutes, I honked again. Since this was going to be my last shift, last ride of the shift, I thought about driving away. But instead, I put the car in, put the car in park and walked up to the front door and knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail elderly voice. I could hear something being dragged across the floor. After a long pause, the door opened. A small woman, woman in her 90s stood before me. She was wearing a paint print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it. The apartment looked like no one lived in it for years. All the furniture was covered with sheets. She spoke quietly. Would you carry my bag out to the car? She said, it's heavy. So I took the suitcase and returned to assist the woman. She took my arm and we walked slowly towards the, to the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness and I said, no, it's nothing. I try to treat my passengers the way I want my mother to be treated. When we got into the cab, she gave me an address and asked, could you drive through downtown on the way? And I said, well, it's not the shortest way, ma'am. And she answered, oh, I don't mind. She said, I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she said in a soft voice. The doctor says I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to take, I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she'd once worked as an elevator operator. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she'd gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes she'd ask me to slow in front of a particular building or corner and would sit staring into the darkness without speaking. At the first hint of, as the first hint of sun was creasing the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired now, let's go. We drove in silence to the address she'd given me. It was a low building, like a small convalescent home. Two orderlies came out to the cab as soon as we pulled up. I opened the trunk and took the small suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked, reaching into her purse. Oh, nothing, I said. Almost without thinking, I bent and gave her a hug. She held on to me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy, she said. Thank you. I squeezed her hand and walked out into the morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was the sound of a closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly lost in thought for the rest of the day. I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver or one who was impatient to end his shift? What if I'd refused to take the the run or had honked once and driven away? On a quick review, I don't think I've done anything more important in my life. So the story speaks for itself. The simplicity, the meeting the care, the, the attunement, and love, like love in action, right? Very simple, very ordinary, and very profound, right? very impactful for him, for her. So 
So this quality of compassion is what we cultivate as we meet the various pain, suffering, loss in our life. And the more we cultivate and generate this quality of kindness, the more likely, the more available it is when we meet difficulty. So I do a fair bit of my work now teaching in, in healthcare settings and um, you know, developed a training uh, that integrates compassion and resilience and mindfulness for the healthcare field. It's called CPR for healthcare providers, compassion, presence, and resilience. And um, um, it's been really powerful to teach people in, you know, especially in hospitals and caring settings where, you know, the, the suffering is in your face every day after day and it requires a lot of compassion. And it's the compassion, and so the research is showing that the more people have access to some practice or some quality of compassion or kindness, the more resilience they have. When we just have empathy, when we can attune, which is a beautiful thing, without this quality of compassion, which is a generative movement of the heart that wishes to relieve someone else's pain, that that quality is what allows a certain um, ballast and a certain resiliency. So there's some really great research pointing to that. So, so we'll do some practice in a minute, and we'll just you know invite. Um, that 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 question, that conversation. How am I in response to pain? How am I in response to my own or my friends or strangers' pain? So, and we, and the the quality of compassion has a slightly different flavor. It's 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 a heart quality similar to love, but it also has this attunement to pain. So there's a sense of opening to the, just like you were speaking to it. But there's a quality of opening to the poignancy or the vulnerability of life, right? Where we feel we and we we know we can empathize because we know that experience in ourselves. Again, this is where all these practices, this like a beautiful matrix, weave together. The more that we've done our own work, the more that we can hold ourselves, the more we can attune to others, the more we know where they are, the more empathy, and the more likely our hearts to open. So maybe that's enough words. We should do some practice. So let's sit together. And again, sensing into your heart. 
cultivating this quality of kindness again to ourselves, starting in our own seat, in our own heart, placing your hand on your heart if it helps, sensing your breath in your chest, calling to mind your own aspiration to be well, your own innate goodness. Offering yourselves your wishes, expressions of loving kindness. safe. May I be healthy. May I feel happy. May I live with ease. May I love and accept myself just as I am. Whatever your words are that express your deepest wish for your own well-being. Saying your phrases slowly, meaningfully.
if your attention wanders, coming back to your heart, slowly, steadily offering this wish of kindness, friendliness. And then calling to mind someone who's easy for you to feel loving kindness for, loved one, a child, dear friend, teacher. Holding them in your heart, sensing them. Sensing their wish to be happy. And extending kindness for them.
Again, not looking to generate any particular experience, but simply come back to this simple wish. Now calling to mind a good friend, but someone whom you care for deeply, but who's going through a difficult time. Might be a difficult time in their lives, they might be physically struggling, mentally struggling, psychologically, difficulty, relationally. Calling calling this person into your mind who's suffering right now in conflict, in pain, and really letting that person into your heart, sensing their difficulty. This is a quality of calling forth compassion to feel with, to suffer with. So taking some moments to sense into that. And then extending these same wishes, may you too be safe and protected. May you be healthy and strong. May you be happy and peaceful. May you live with ease. May you be free from pain and suffering. to not get lost in stories. It's coming back to this simple wish for this person to be well, free of suffering.
And now calling to mind someone who's more neutral for you, a stranger, someone you maybe in the class, somebody you see in your life every day, at work or <clears throat> in your community, neighbor, in your office, but who you don't feel strong feelings for or against. And sensing into this person's wish to be happy. And offering them these phrases, these wishes of kindness. Just as I wish to be safe, may you too be safe. May you be healthy. May you be happy. May you live with ease.
And now calling to mind someone who's not so easy for you to feel kindness towards, someone you're maybe irritated with or you find difficult, challenging in some way, annoying. Or may even be a good friend where there's some antagonism in the friendship. So not calling to mind your worst enemy, but just someone who's slightly challenging for you where you get to work the muscle of metta, of awareness, kindness. So call to mind somebody. And taking a moment to both sense them, but also sense that they too, just like you, want to be happy. That someone somewhere, someone somewhere probably likes this person, even though you might find it hard to imagine. Maybe their mother still loves them. Or their dog. So seeing if we can step out of our limited perspective and see them through fresh eyes. Knowing that when we contract around someone that we are carrying around their pain. This person's just happily living their life. So we both extend our hearts to this person as a way of wishing well, but also freeing the block and pain in our own heart. And being extra careful with this person not to get lost in stories about them. And just simply coming back to this simple wish. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you be happy. May you live with ease. And by doing this, we're not condoning any negative actions. We're not saying we want to be friends or even have to like this person or be with this person. But simply releasing some of the tightness and the holding in our own hearts. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you be happy and live with ease. And if at any time you get too triggered, you come back to yourself or an easier person.
a phrase with this person, may I open to this person with loving kindness, as well as may they be happy and filled with loving kindness. May I open to this person with kindness. extending this quality of care to everybody in the room. May everybody here sitting beside me, in front of me, behind me, those I know, those I don't know, may we all be safe. May we be healthy. May we be happy. And live with ease. and extending outwards to whoever comes into your mind, and friends, family, loved ones. all peoples, all creatures, all beings everywhere. All species, all endangered species. May your life everywhere be safe and protected. May your life be healthy, or as healthy as can be. be happy, free from suffering. May all live with peace and harmony. So I know this is a bit of a sleepy time in the afternoon to be meditating, like after lunch, like, oh, we should have just taken a nap. <laughs> Actually, some of you did, it looked like. <laughs> so we'll, we'll do some walking outside in a minute, but I just want to see if there's any questions, particularly bring to mind the not-so-easy person, the difficult person. can be a little triggering at times. Um, 
Always good, though, to grow the muscle of kindness in the heart, even though it's not easy to hang out with, even for five minutes, (laughs) the person that we're in contention with. And just to see what happens, you know, even if there's not, even if there's, we're not able to access any warmth, it's just interesting to see what happens, you know, what happens to the heart when you just bring someone in and say, oh, I notice my heart started to get cold. (laughs) Oh, you. (laughs) Mm, Do I really want to extend kindness to you? No. And then, you know, and then if we're aware, we can see, oh, that's painful. Painful to be withholding. Painful to be shut down. It's like they're just living their life gaily, doing their own thing. And we're like, as if somehow that's going to be better for us, you know. It's not. It's painful. doesn't mean we're going to take them in and have tea in with them. You know, it just means we're going to you know, work on softening that, that the hardness, the, the muscle, you know, the tightness. Any comments, observations? Questions? Yes, at the front. Do you have a mic somewhere? Oh, you got it. Perfect. Uh, speaking of the difficult people, um, I had a... Well, for one, it was helpful to um, hear you say uh, releasing the pain within your own heart. It was hard for me to just wish them well. Mm-hmm. or wish them good health. But then when you added, it releases your own heart and your own pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was very helpful. Mm. But also, uh, after saying that, I have this reaction to want to just want to slam the door. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I did that. I'm done with that person. Mm-hmm. Next. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Yeah, and so when the instruction came of, you know, opening your heart to that person, I, uh, you know, I thought, that's not part of the program at all. I already (laughs) took care of them. (laughs) So that's my comment, and I found Mm. that challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anybody else find it challenging? Yeah. That's why it's called a difficult person. (laughs) Or in tradition, it's called the enemy. Just like, oh... That's right. Yeah. Where else are we going to work with the enemy, right? So, you know, and and, and again, to be creative, and sometimes, you know, you might say, may we be free of this conflict, you know, where, you know, there's antagonism both sides. They're probably suffering, and it usually goes both ways. And, um, you know, so, you know, we have to find different entryways into ways to release. You know, sometimes it's forgiveness, sometimes it's turning towards ourselves and seeing how much we're still carrying and what the burden of that is. Sometimes it's really taking a moment to, well, let me see how much I can let this person. Maybe 10 seconds, maybe a minute, maybe one set of phrases and I'm done. Okay, all right, that's where I'm at right now. So noticing that and, you know, and then, you know, sometimes doing a little bit every day can start to, chip away at a, a, a stone that feels very, you know, blocked. And sometimes it takes years. It took me 10 years to work on someone to release the pain I had around some painful incident with this person. And, you know, so you just keep plugging away and 
it's over time the heart does can release. Yeah. yeah. And then to feel, you know, compassion for your own heart that's you know, you're the one who's afflicted. Yeah. Good. And that's why it's called practice. <laughs> work. It's work. You know, work of the heart. Training. Slow. And then you know, it can seem like nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, and suddenly, maybe the next time you see this person, you you have included them in your meditation every day, and next time you see them, they're like, oh, and there's a little more space, a little less reactivity, a little more openness, a little more, oh. You know, something shifts. So, good. Hang in there with it. Yeah, not easy. You know, it's it's an it's a very counterintuitive practice to turn towards the people that we don't like. Like, why would I want to do that? That sounds like misery. <laughs> Just like with mindfulness, you turn towards your pain. Why would I want to do that? It's painful. Why am I supposed to get away from that? Okay, but it's often that going towards that turning towards that allows some shift, some release. Because doing that mostly just keeps that person, thing, experience at arm's length and it doesn't go away. just stays stuck in in a kind of resistant place. So, yeah. Questions? Yes. Chavin Dusha. Um, what came up for me, it was during when you were talking, is um, I do loving kindness and mindfulness every day. And um, someone came into my consciousness today who who is a very, very difficult person. And I've so much so that I blocked his phone number, etc. Um, and it never even came into my mind before today that I could use him as a difficult person. I mean, <laughs> which I find enlightening. <laughs> and not just not just blocked on your phone number. No, right. He's not <laughs> right. He was blocked up here also. And but when I when I was using him, uh, when I did, may you love and accept yourself exactly as you are. I then added, may I love and accept you exactly as you are, which mm-hmm. seemed like the next extension of that. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of days, months, years mm-hmm. to get through this, but at mm-hmm. least I have hope. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great turnaround of that phrase. You know, I, I really like it for ourselves, but it's really true. For others, especially the people we find difficult, may I love and accept you just as you are. It's hard enough to do it here. You know, hard to turn it around also. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And it's interesting who pops up when and why, you know. It's like, oh, well, I guess this is our time. Get in the ring. (laughs) Yeah. Good. So let's do a little walking practice. So, um, Get some, get some fresh air and you know, stimulate our bodies. Or a little, like, seem a little sleepy. Um, so, and we'll just, you know, it's a beautiful day. Just, you know, find a path or walk on the grass or up on the road here. Probably best stay within here. There's a lot of building going over there. And um, just simply walk up and down, you know, 20, 30 steps. Or you can meander if you like. And then, 
mostly just uh, slowly repeat a phrase to yourself. You know, just maybe one phrase, either may I or may you be whatever it is you're wishing. Be happy, say. May I be happy, may you be happy. And you just walk around and you're slowly repeating that phrase to yourself. Or you say it to whoever's walking by, not silently, or to the trees or the birds or the grass. or the, and just So you're just cultivating a benevolent attitude. And then use, again, the phrase as a way of just turning the attention a little bit towards that quality so you don't space out. But not so you're like a meta-machine factory, like, okay, no, maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe I, if I get in 500, I'll be really enlightened by the time I get back. You know, that's how I was taught, actually. Is that's my, one of my teachers said, just say it as fast as you can, as many as you can. Maybe happy, maybe happy, maybe happy. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so just having a kind of a kind orientation to yourself, to people you pass, to the nature, beautiful nature here. And, um, you know, just so we start to tune into how we can just move in the world with this quality. It's a beautiful thing to remember as we walk and stroll and, you know. So we'll do that and we'll have a bell. Someone can ring a bell at maybe uh, a little after three. And then we'll come back and we'll do some more. We'll do some inquiry and some practice. Okay. And I'll stay behind if you, if anyone has questions that you'd rather ask one-on-one, I'm fine to stay and uh, respond to those.
So how was it to take your practice outside? Nice. Yeah. Able to stay connected with some, someone is, no, yes, no, some, yeah. Some, yeah, just like life, like practice, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's interesting, like, you know, it's such a beautiful day, here we are in like the fullness of spring, and, um, you know, there's many ways to cultivate the heart, right? And sometimes not doing anything except going outside, the heart gets, you know, opened, right? It's like, it's, it's like an, it's effortless meta practice. You go outside, you see a beautiful animal or bird or a tree or flower and, oh, you know, like that's a, it's a, it's a quality of love in itself, right? We feel, Sometimes, sometimes we're generating, right? Say through phrases, and, and sometimes it's more we're either being, being done to, or we're receiving in a way that brings forth the quality, right? Just you know, being with you know your grandkids or you know some children that you love, right? That it brings forth this kind of sweetness and, and a joy or a appreciation or a gratitude, right? And same with you know being here in spring and. Especially after last spring, which wasn't really a spring; it was just dry. And um, so, you know, it's, it's useful to think about what what evokes the heart, what allows the heart to open. Right? Many, many doorways, many vehicles, many paths. Um, you know, sometimes the most loving thing we can do in our life is to do a little less. You know, take some quiet time. Not even to sit on a meditation cushion, but just to sit down and have a cup of tea and do nothing. You know, I used to give, I still do, give clients uh, what I call hammock practice uh, or couch practice, and the, and the practice is they got to sit on their couch or lie on a hammock or something and not do anything. And don't practice. <laughs> don't meditate. Don't use your phone. Don't read. Just be. And just see what happens when we just give ourselves a little space to just breathe and do nothing. Right? That can be a practice. So, all right, so I think we should do a little inquiry. So we can do this in pairs. Um, so why don't you get into pairs and I'll give you the instructions. So just turn to the person next to you and if you no one next to you, you might need to Raise your hand and anybody need a partner? So one hand up there, and one hand over there. All right. So um, you know, again, just thinking about different ways to explore this quality. One is through meditation. One is through nature. Um, and one is through inquiry. So I'd like to, us to answer a couple of questions. And we'll just take a couple of minutes. And we're going to do, we'll partly practice mindful listening, where one person's going to talk and the other person's going to do this really radical revolutionary thing called just listening, without <laughs> interrupting, without saying anything, without pitching in and telling them about your experience or judging them or fixing them or giving advice. Um, one person's just going to share a couple, you know, about the theme I'm going to say in a minute. And the other person is just going to listen. And I'll ring a bell and then we'll switch roles and then the other person will do the radical act of listening. 
And then, so I'm going to answer two sets of questions, or two, two questions. So the first question is, um, uh, let me see if I can simplify this. Um, what gets in the way of your heart opening? What, what's, what gets in the way of your heart opening? Okay. What is an obstacle to, to kindness? What is an obstacle to kindness in your heart, in your life? So a couple of minutes to decide who's going to talk first. And, um, you know, we'll just make a, make a quick ground rule here that everything that's said here is going to be confidential. So anybody not comfortable with being confidential? Okay. So two minutes, one person's going to share, you know, just what, what, are the, where, where, what are the obstacles to your heart opening to developing kindness? And then um, I'll ring a bell and then we'll switch roles. Any questions about that? Okay. Anybody need a partner? Okay. One person over there. Do you want to join a group of two? This. Oh, there's a partner. No, actually, there's a person here. He needs a partner. He needs a person. He's hiding there in the back, over here to my left. Okay. So, a couple of minutes just to share you know, one or two things. What are ways that your heart gets closed, shut down? Locked from opening. Okay. Mark, sorry, are we re- repetitive again? Uh, they're not repetitive. Just, okay. just, just, it's just a mon, just a sharing, just a monologue. Right. Just okay. use, yeah.
So if you haven't reversed roles already, please switch. And same question. The, the, the question is, tell me a way your heart uh, is closed or tell me a way, tell me a way there's an obstacle uh, to your heart opening. So in what way is the, is the, does the heart close or contract? Or what is an obstacle to the heart opening into kindness? <clears throat> <clears throat> okay, so second question, second exploration. <clears throat> Again, the question's very simple. And um, so I need to get everyone's attention because if you don't hear this, then you're going to be asking me what we're doing. So, so the question is, 
tell me something that opens your heart. Tell me something that opens your heart. And how we're going to do this form, we're going to slightly differently. We're going to go back and forwards. So one person's going to say, tell me something that opens your heart. And the other person will say, oh, being outside and seeing all the beautiful flowers. And the person who asks the question says, thank you. And then the person who answered the question this time says the same question back. Tell me, tell me something that opens your heart. And the person says, oh, you know, seeing my grandchildren. Oh, and the question says, thank you. And then the, the person who just answered the question then asks the question back again. Tell me something that opens your heart. So you're going back and forth like ping pong. It's like a ping-pong inquiry. Does that make sense? Take turns asking the question answering. So we'll do that for a few minutes. Tell me something that opens your heart. All right, off you go.
Okay, so thanking your partner and coming back to your seats. So, any um, comments, observations? How is it to explore both both talk about, which we don't normally talk about. Hey, how's your heart block today? <laughs> message, to your, message to your doctor. Um, so how is it to talk about that, uh, but also talk about the um, things that open your heart? You know. Yes, please. When we started exchanging, just the question, just energy started bubbling in my body and kind of rippling out and it was almost as if there was this flow in, on a visceral level of joy already just talking about mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. opens your heart. It, you could feel it opening in the process of talking about it. Yes, yes. That's the partly the design of the exercises. <laughs> <laughs> it worked! It worked! <laughs> Yeah, because when we hear what some opens someone's heart, right, it touches our heart, and it's oh yeah, right, and then and then we feed off each other, right? Yes. Just as we can feed off the negative field, like oh yeah, you know, elections, blah blah, blah right, and it's, we can get very negative, or we can get, you know, we can turn to the positive, right? Mm-hmm. And if we're talking about things that are beautiful or joyful, right, touches us, and we go, oh yeah, I can share something too. So it'd be nice if it were easy to do this with the ones in our lives or around us that want to focus on perhaps. Yeah. Like, get off your high horse, join me down here in the misery. <laughs> uh-huh. Or oh, when people are doing that to you, saying that to you? Well, sometimes if, if there's stress about work or money. Sure, of course. It's as if you're being, you're dismissing right. it so. Best. Right, it's just, not being solidarity to. Or perhaps you may not want to listen and go there, but yet, you know, that little gray area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a time and a place for all of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But good to see what happens when you spark each other, you yes. know, as we can. Mm-hmm. In beautiful ways. Yeah. Good. Anybody else notice that? I'm seeing some nods. Yeah. yeah. What else? What did you learn, explore? And so the first disconcerting thing I noticed was that I had to stop and think about what opens my heart uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and i think it's we do if we as you said we focus on the negative and the blockages yeah. and stuff and we, you don't necessarily always think about what makes you happy and what makes you better mm-hmm. and more open and so i think the takeaway for me is to remember it more mm-hmm. and um incorporate those things more mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. instead of focusing on the negative yeah, yeah. i'm yeah, happy yeah. that i remembered a few <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting to see the habits of mind, right? That we get, we do fixate on what's wrong, usually, or what's problematic, or, and, and forget. You know, we can just, you know, go through the day, we're working and, you know, shopping and taking care of the kids or work or life or whatever, and then we, it's, it's easy to forget. What's you know, in some ways, as important, if not more important, of the heart and what allows it to flower. Yeah, good. good. And if we neglect that, you know, it generally is 
not just for our own detriment, but the people around us, because we, you know, we shrink, and then it has an impact. So, yeah. Other comments, questions, obstacles, supports for opening. <coughs> yep. Laura. I was surprised to find out how physical it feels. The things that open my heart. Hmm. It, it it was very visceral, and and so that kind of points me towards um, some some self opening exercises. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and and true with my partner too. I would say you know, this kind of movement, this kind of quiver, is a kind of a quivering that comes through the body. Mm-hmm. So that was that was an insight mm-hmm. for me. So, and and you're saying that the mm, that the when you're connected to the heart quality, there's a movement in the body, or there's the body's a support for. It's like the the body's a portal mm. to the heart. Mm. Mm-hmm. In in several cases, walking on a trail, um, being in the presence of someone whose whose physical energies. Makes me happy, opens mm-hmm. my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, the partner I worked with was about dancing. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're physical beings. We forget that. We get so right. sedentary. Right. right. A lot of joy comes from movement, from dance, from expression, from being outside, from being in our senses, and yeah, yeah and we. And it's so easy to neglect that. And 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 my work with animals is just like. Mm-hmm. There it is, right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, great it's support for joy. Physical touch and yeah. play. Mm-hmm. Simple. Yeah. yeah, good, good. What else? Yes, Whitney, be in the corner. You want to wait for the mic? Um. I like to exercise because sometimes you have these blocks and you think, I mean, for me, I internalize it and I don't really verbalize it. And I think for, I'm the only one with this, (laughs) like no one else. And so it was nice to verbalize it and also realize that I'm not alone, you know, in, fear or blocks or those things that cloud the heart mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and I think it's really important to share that because we do it just makes it worse when we think we're the only one and then we're why we're the only one and how come everybody else is uh, I'm the only one with a closed heart how come everybody else has an open heart <laughs> right. yeah. and there's some comfort in knowing that we're not the only one it's not exactly misery loves company but it says something about Oh, I'm not. I don't need to beat myself up or think there's something wrong. It's just part of being human. Our heart opens in certain places and it closes in certain places, and we have histories that close it and history that opens it. And yeah, good to see. Thanks. Anything else? Yes. Um, I was just going to mention that um, 
when I first came in this afternoon and meditated, um, and we were doing the exercises for compassion, and my heart was getting more open and fuller. And, uh, you know, what was chattering in my mind was some about what, wh- why, what resists this. And it, it was, I could see how much, you know, in my life, the moments of resistance that keep me from it being available. And then, but the more it grew and the more I felt at home with it, the more peace arose. And I really could connect that, you know, like there's great power. That thing that makes us most vulnerable at the same time, it gives me the most peace about being human. Mm. Like I know that I am okay when I, when I know that part of myself. And so the work is work, but I do the work because, because personally I prefer the peaceful feeling that I get as a result. And also I enjoy the connection and without it, I wouldn't be able to connect to people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was just, no. yeah. Yeah, good to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a. Yeah, sometimes our suffering, our pain, is what you know both is our growth area and also what opens us and what connects us. And yeah, yeah. Alrighty, so I'm going to share a poem with you. This is from um, uh, what's his name, Billy Collins who is called Aimless Love. And I think it speaks to this idea of seeing how we can be touched in different ways as we move through life. He writes, This morning as I walked along the lake shore, I fell in love with a wren, and later in the day with a mouse the cat had dropped under the dining room table. In the shadows of an autumn evening, I fell for a seamstress still at her machine in the tailor's window, and later for a bowl of broth, steam rising like smoke from a naval battle. This is the best kind of love, I thought, without recompense, without gifts or unkind words, without suspicion or those long silences on the telephone. The love of the chestnut, the jazz cap, and one hand on the wheel. No slam of the door, no love of the miniature, sorry, no lust, no slam of the door, but the love of the miniature orange tree, the clean white shirt, the hot evening shower, the highway that runs across Florida. No waiting, no huffiness or rancor, just a twinge every now and then for the wren who had built her nest on a low branch overhanging the water and for the dead mouse still still dressed in its light brown suit. But my heart is always propped up on on a field on its tripod ready for the next arrow. After I carried the mouse by the tail to a pile of leaves in the woods, I found myself standing in the bathroom sink, gazing down affectionately at the soap, so patient and soluble. So at home in the pale green soap dish, I could feel myself falling again as I felt its turning in my wet hands and caught the scent of lavender and stone. I love this line. My heart is always propped up in a field on its tripod ready for the next arrow. From Cupid. Isn't that great? (laughs) That's a beautiful orientation, right? To, you know... And, of course, when one is open like that, then, of course, one is going to be more inclined to be hit with an arrow, you know. It's one of the things I've appreciated about 
mindfulness awareness practice is that as we cultivate more awareness, more openness, we're more present and we're more present for life. And if we're more present for life, we'll no doubt access more of it, both the beauty and the joy, also the challenge. But we see also what a gift it is to be alive, to be awake, to be in this beautiful blue-green planet. I mean, how amazing is it? So... So another story, and then we'll do another exercise. So this is one of my favorite stories from uh, about metta in a, in a sort of informal way. And I usually read this at the end of retreats when people are going home and they're going to go catch a plane. And it's about taking our, our love into the airport. Wandering around at the Albuquerque airport terminal, this is from Naomi Shihab Nye, who's a Palestinian poet which is, pertains to the story. Wandering around Albuquerque Airport Terminal, after learning my flight had been delayed four hours, I heard an announcement on the intercom. If anyone in the vicinity of gate 4A understands any Arabic, please come to the gate immediately. Well, one pauses these days, doesn't one? Gate 4A was my own gate. I went there, an older woman in full traditional Palestinian embroidered dress, just like my grandma wore, was crumpled to the floor, wailing loudly. Help, said the flight service person, talk to her. What's her problem? We, we told her the flight's going to be late and she did this. So I talked to her. I put my arm, stopped, stooped to put my arm around the woman and talked to her haltingly in, in Arabic. As soon as she heard any words in Arabic, uh, as soon, sorry, I'm, I can't see under my glasses. I'm making this up. The minute she heard any words she knew, however poorly used, she stopped crying. She thought the flight had been canceled entirely. She needed to be in El Paso for major net medical treatment the next day. I said, you're fine, you'll get there. Who is picking you up? Let's call him. So we called her son and I spoke with him in English. I told him I would stay with his mother till we got on the plane and would ride next to her, Southwest style. She talked to him. Then we called uh, her other sons just for fun. Then we called my dad and, he, and she spoke in, uh, for a while in Arabic and found out, of course, they had 10 shared friends. <laughs> then I thought, just for the heck of it, why not call some Palestinian poets I knew? And let them talk to her. This all took about two hours. She was laughing a lot by then, telling us about her life, um, patting my knee, answering questions. She, she Then she pulled out a sack of homemade mamul cookies, little powdered sugar crumbly mounds stuffed with dates and nuts out of her bag and was offering them to all the women at the gate. To my amazement, not a single woman declined one. It was like a sacrament. The traveler from Argentina, the mum from California, the lovely woman from Loretto, we were all covered with the same powdered sugar and smiling. There was no better cookies. And then the airline broke out the free beverages from the huge coolers and two little girls from our flight ran around serving us all apple juice and they were covered with powdered sugar too. And I noticed my new best friend, by now we were holding hands, had a potted plant out of, poking out of her bag some medicinal thing with green furry leaves. Such an old traveling tradition, always carry a plant, always stay rooted to somewhere. And I looked around that gate of late and weary ones and thought, this is the world I want to live in, the shared world. Not a single person in that gate, once the crying of confusion stopped, seemed apprehensive about any other person. They took the cookies. I wanted to hug all those other women too. This can still happen anywhere. Not everything is lost. So, again, so simple. Eh? You're just showing up, being there, patient, 
kind, right? not extraordinary, very, very ordinary, and very powerful. You know? Sometimes these are the moments we most remember in our lives, right? We just were present, or someone was present for us, you know, like that Nippun story. Someone got out of a lemon. It actually changed his life. He was uh, he was a young tech graduate. Um, well, actually, ever since that that um, that person gave him the lemon, he, he 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 reflected on the power of generosity. And when he left school, this was in the eighties. He graduated from Stanford or somewhere like that with a with a technology IT degree. And he and his friends decided to uh, instead of making a lot of money, they decided to devote themselves to giving away their services for free. So they would go around, this was way back in the beginning of the internet, it's probably early 90s, I guess, and they, were, they started uh, approaching nonprofits and saying, hey, we've got these tech skills, we, we can build you a website for free. And they were like, what's a website? And, like, and, you know, and, and then since then he's developed you know, dozens of enterprises all based around generosity and kindness. And, and he traces it back to this incident of seeing how radical it is when somebody, particularly a stranger, just does something kind, you know. So not everything is lost. And of course we, we know this, we feel this, we experience this, and, and, and then we mostly go back into the trance of forgetfulness, you know, of going about our day, our life, our busy life, and somewhat self-preoccupied until something shakes us out of it. You know, we see a homeless person nearly dead on the street or something grabs our attention out of our complacency. So I'd like us to do uh, a practice and um, it's going to be what I call um, Meta Practice Live as opposed to meta practice sitting in the safe confine of your meditation cushion. So it requires that we all stand up. And um, I'm going to ask you to all move to the back of the room. And if your stuff is at the back of the room, maybe you can clear it away a little bit. So we, we want space to walk around. So if someone could roll up that blue yoga mat in the back there and just push the cushions to the side. Could I get a microphone? Could I get a handheld? Someone has a handheld mic. Okay, so start by um, just by walking around the room. So we're going to do a milling, which is just you know sort of mindful, slow walking. Thank you. Um, just walk around the room and just in it, like if you're walking downtown, you're just milling in and out of traffic and people and um, obstacles and <laughs> and laughter and. <laughs> Okay, so just keep walking around, and my movement teacher says, move into the space. Always forward, there's always space. So, sort of 
move in a random way. Like don't just walk around doing laps. This isn't your exercise time. <laughs> or it could be. Maybe this is the most exercise you get all day. I don't know. <laughs> and, and first just be really um, in yourself. Like just be with your body, noticing your feet on the floor. Noticing your internal experience, like what's in you moving around, maybe a little self-conscious, maybe curious what we're going to be doing. And noticing, just like as we do when we're walking around in the city, you know, how do we stay grounded in ourselves and, you know, be around other people? So we're aware of them, but we're not necessarily interacting but mindful, self-possessed. And then as you start to walk, as you're walking around, start to be more aware of the other people. That may involve looking. You might just, again, noticing what happens when you do that. You catch someone's eye, you smile. Notice how that changes your experience. Suddenly there's more connection, there's more engagement, there's more warmth perhaps, maybe some self-consciousness, maybe who knows what there is. And as if we're downtown San Francisco or somewhere, we can be practicing stealth metta, which is we can just slip somebody a loving kindness, may you be happy, (laughs) quietly, because you might get arrested if you start saying that too loudly in San Francisco, (laughs) or not. So you're just saying, may you be well, may you be safe, or whatever your phrases are. May your heart be filled with loving kindness. May you be free of suffering. May you be happy. And of course, as we're doing this, we're also receiving people's loving kindness, right? So this is a field of care. And just to up the intensity a little bit, we're going to have yourself, uh, find yourself standing in front of somebody. And we'll pause for a moment. So look around and see who needs a partner. And I'll, I'm over here. I'll, I'll find whoever's not, um, yeah, one pair. Okay. So just take a moment to take this person in. Feeling your heart. And just find a smile, find a giggle, whatever's going on. Notice any self-consciousness. And then just take a moment to reflect on this person. This person just like me, wants to be happy. This person 
just like me, wants to be well and safe and protected. And this person, being human, is also vulnerable to most joys and sorrows. And this person has a body just like me, with its aches and pains and pleasures and challenges. Imagine this person as an infant, as a, as a newborn. Beautiful and pure, and, and this person has, still has that same essential quality: goodness, kindness, purity of heart, caring. And imagine this person's aspirations of what they most want to be, or do, or accomplish in their lives. And we can wish that they achieve that they live into all of their aspirations. And maybe we see them more clearly than they see themselves. So we can reflect back that goodness and kindness. So this is the quality of loving kindness that wishes well for another, wishes this person simply to be well and happy. So thanking your partner and continuing walking. <laughs> and continue walking on and... Oh no, she says, we have to do this again. Oh God. <laughs> it's all right, it's California. It's okay, it's a lot. <laughs> and of course, if you don't feel like doing this you you can you, you're always welcome to just you know go to the corner no you can you, you're also you're, you're welcome to to sit down you don't have to be forced into any eye gazing and i should have said it, you don't feel free not to you can do this with your eyes closed or walking about it's good to keep your eyes open so again, just noticing as we've done that exercise, just connection with one person, just notice what's in your heart, what's in the room. You know, dread. <laughs> Love. <laughs> Fear. Joy. Sensing into your heart, continuing the Spirit of loving kindness, wishing people well, those you know, those you don't know. And again, finding yourself in front of somebody. And a comfortable distance, whatever distance makes you feel comfortable. And um, again, you, know, you, you don't need to lock eye gaze. If it's too uncomfortable, you can lower your gaze. Just, but just be aware of this person in front of you. And again, just take a moment to take this person, this person just like me, human being, wants to be happy, wants to be safe, loved. And this time we're going to slightly shift the lens and to be mindful of how this person is also vulnerable to 
pain. The person has a body, subject to aches, pain, sickness, the challenge of aging, of fatigue, of stress. And this person has no doubt, just like you, experienced loss, sadness, disappointment, frustration, envy, fear. This person has a heart that's beautiful and sensitive. And again, imagine this person as a, as a young person growing up. Beautiful, impressionable, hopeful, and no doubt received imperfect parenting, imperfect mirroring, and all the different trials and tribulations of growing up in adolescence, in all the different ways that we can suffer as a child. and all the different ways that we can be challenged as an adult with work, with money, with relationship, with life. So attuning to the the inevitable pain that we can experience, we're wishing this person to be free of suffering, to hold their challenges with ease, with kindness, with patience. This is the heart of compassion that wishes all life to be free of difficulty. So, wishing and receiving compassion from this person and then thanking them and continue walking around. And staying in silence and just walking around. And noticing the flavor of your heart now. And this is a different facet of the heart, right? It can open to joy and beauty and love. And it also can open very tenderly to the sadness and the suffering, right? We hold both, right? We share both. Beauty and challenge. So it's a little more sober quality. It's not quite as euphoric. It's, 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 it's grounded in a certain way and it's real. And it's a beautiful quality that can meet the tenderness in each of us. So so wishing that phrase of compassion as we walk around, may you be free of pain. May you be free of sorrow. Even though we know pain is part of life, we still wish others to be free of that. And then find yourself in front of another person. And again, a comfortable distance. And um, again, you don't need to lock eye gaze. You can lower your gaze if that's more comfortable. But just staying mindful of person in front of you. And you can sit down if you need to sit down. And again, just taking a moment to take this person in.
this person just like me also knows a lot of joy has experienced accomplishments they have gifts and talents and skills and successes so many gifts to offer through their presence and their being and just like you has moments of happiness and sweetness and joy has an open heart offers love and kindness to others so taking the moment to orient to this person's happiness and joy and success and well-being, which is also part of their life, whatever else is going on. And so we offer them the wish of mudita, this quality of appreciative joy. I delight in your happiness. I'm happy for your happiness. May your happiness and success continue. May your happiness continue to flourish in whatever way that you know joy and happiness, small or large. I'm happy for your happiness. May your happiness continue. And so we celebrate the goodness and the happiness of others through this very lovely quality. So thanking this person. And continue walking. And we have one last little stroll. <laughs> like, no, please. <laughs> Come on. It's not that bad, is it? <laughs> it's gotten easier. It's gotten easier. <laughs> oh, it's getting harder. <laughs> it's an emotional roller coaster. But this is, you know, this is the practice of loving kindness, right? This is the practice of the hard qualities. I'm walking you through the four qualities the Buddha spoke to. And we want to learn how to practice them in real time. It's not just about sitting on our cushion, right? It's about how do we show love and compassion and joy. All right, and then again, find yourself in front of somebody. And I'm I'm here if there's if there's if there's an odd number. So um, again, take this person in. We've walked through a different terrain. We've walked through the terrain of kindness, wishing them well for their happiness. We walk through the terrain of pain and wishing them to be free of suffering. And we've also attuned to their joys, their happiness. Wishing it to flourish. And the last quality is equanimity, which is a, also a, a, a abode of the heart, but it's a slightly cooler quality. And in equanimity, we're present to the fact that this person experiences joys and sorrows, highs and lows, successes and failures, 
pain and pleasure. And that we hold them with a caring, open heart, wishing them well, and yet knowing that their wishes, that our wishes are not what determines their happiness. That no matter how much we care and wish for this person, their happiness and their joy and their life will unfold according to the actions and the decisions and the choices they make. That their own well-being is there in their own hands. So we wish them well, and yet we also cultivate this quality of equanimity, which is meeting things as they are, and also allowing and allowing ourselves to let go of that responsibility of thinking we need to determine this person's happiness or well-being. So our hearts are open, and we know that their happiness or unhappiness depends on their actions, not just on my wishes. So we acknowledge them, their humanness, their goodness, and we wish them well with a caring heart. Thank you. And then maybe in your in your pairs, just take a moment, just to just to debrief what that was like, the exercise. What was it like to do the milling and to be this radically in front of somebody and share your heart? <laughs> okay. Just take a moment just to talk about that, what that was like for you. So, and then when you're ready, please come back to your seats. Please come back to your seats. And who's the mic runners? We have a mic runner here. Good job I don't tell you about that beforehand because you probably all, oh, I have an appointment at four o'clock. It just so happens. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
funny. <laughs> so, anyway, I love that exercise. I, I love, you know, practicing life. You know, it's like, that's why we practice, right? To, to feel into those qualities and cultivate them and wish them when we're with a live human being. It's the, Rubber hits the road, kind of thing. I mean, you don't need to do that in safe ways, you know. It's eye gazing over the carrots, and <laughs> may you be well. And <laughs> but um, you know, we can hold that in our hearts. You know, we can be one of my favorite places to practice is sitting in traffic. Yeah, may you be safe. You know, may you get to where you're going on time. May you not. Toot your horn so loudly behind me. Thank you very much. <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So how was that for you? Anybody like to share? The mic runners can go too. Yes. <laughs> you can if you want. Yes, in the front here? Yeah, you do. You do. I just really loved it. I think um, my longing in my life right now, as we were sharing in the exercise we did together, is uh, you know, is just uh, presence. And it was really a exercise of presence. It mm-hmm. felt like in yeah. all different levels. But um, it's almost like at Safeway, just occasionally in in the vegetable department to let our eyes meet someone else's, mm-hmm. even if it's just hello, mm-hmm. or at a stop sign walking in San Francisco, a red light, and just to say, how are you? I I guess I just long for that, and mm-hmm. I don't always know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like a just, uh, oh, just that connection, and I know it's it starts here first, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I know this is where it's the most important to have it, and and then it begins to want to extend out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we, I think we have to listen to ourselves and what feels right and appropriate. And, yeah, you know, and, you know, and it's interesting. I travel a lot, and it's interesting to see how different places, different cities, different cultures, you know. I just came from rural Devon, England, and it was very, you know, it's people are very, you know, rel- much more relational in a certain way because it's a small town. It's people feel safer, and then you come to a city, and people are very busy, and you know. And so, but it's lovely to have enough presence of mind to be. I think for me, what's key is to be have enough presence to be responsive when those conditions are ripe for that to happen. To not impose it on somebody is that, well, you know, I just come from a workshop and I'm going to love you up. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. <laughs> Share with compassion, baby. <laughs> you know, because they're like, weirdo, California. <laughs> um, but to be, you know, attuned, and, and there's, there's many, many times I find, you know, just, you know, saying, connecting with the person checking out the grocery store or, you know, the bus driver or, you know, yeah, I'm just anywhere. There's people are longing for connection and presence and humanness, you know, so, yes. Um, so the exercise reminded me a little bit about um, when 
I discuss with my partner when, um, what, um, keeps our heart closed, what's Uh preventing us from keeping our heart Uh open. And I shared that, um, it's because I lived so much of my life with it so open that Uh I was just raw all the time. Uh And so I, I still, this exercise, it opened me up right away and I wasn't expecting that. Uh And, um, just trying to navigate between, being so raw and vulnerable where when you open your heart, it's like the floodgates are open versus then being jaded or mm. so disconnected. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, just finding the, the middle ground is mm-hmm. something that I'm having a hard time with mm-hmm. or that I always have. So, mm-hmm. so it's either kind of blasted open or it's shut yeah, down. Like, and so then I choose shut down to survive in mm. the real world mm. and the practical world. Mm. So, anyway. Yeah. That's more of a comment than a question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it makes me curious, though. <laughs> so, what happens when you're that open? What, what, what? Uh, yeah. um, well, it doesn't happen much anymore, <laughs> but it's not very adaptive. I think mm. when you're in that, um, when, yeah, like a lot of my childhood or adolescence or young adult life, it was just um, an open-heartedness that doesn't lend itself to just being able to move throughout the world in the way that we need to move throughout the world. Mm. I don't know. I'm not kind of being abstract, but just, Mm. um, Mm. a lot of crying, you Mm. know, not contracted, um, kind of crying, but just tears that would flow naturally all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, bodhicitta maybe, but Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, at some point in my life just went in the exact opposite direction mm. and got much more cerebral mm. and detached. And so mm. now when I start to open up a little bit, I feel that coming back and I, mm. Mm. anyway. So what are you afraid of? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, I don't know in this moment. I, I don't think I know. Um, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of not being able to survive. Mm. Um, so mm. if I live from my heart, mm. so it's very, it's a very practical, it's just, um, so, Yeah. Well, I'm cognizant of the loss in the in the shutting down. You know, I'm curious about what's being given up to function in that way cerebrally for you. A lot. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. So, you know, it's a good inquiry to you know, to explore. You know, how, how, what's the middle way between shutting down and being so open it's hard to function? You know, because clearly you want to function, but there's ways to function without shutting down. And I feel like I know that intellectually, and I yeah. don't, I don't yeah. really, I've never yeah, yeah. been able to put mm-hmm. it into practice. Mm-hmm. So. so what was it like right now to be more emotional in the exercise? Um, it 
felt wonderful and I felt myself trying to control mm-hmm. the extent to which I let myself feel mm-hmm. or break open. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sense that from other people and maybe I'm projecting, I don't mm-hmm. know if that was anyone else's experience too, mm-hmm. of just, um, keeping it at bay to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a breaking I mean, open and a vulnerability and a tenderness that I then wanted to just well, don't let it get too overwhelming. Yeah, but I know, and there's an appropriateness to that. There's an appropriateness to time and place and mm-hmm. extent that one opens. And this is a room of you know relative strangers, and <laughs> you, our workshop ends in 17 minutes. And you know, there's a kind of like okay, you know, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a skillfulness to being mindful of the context, right, of where we are and the level we go into and the level we open to, and how safe it is and how appropriate it is. Right? All that's really healthy and, and necessary. And and there's you know there's I just think there's a there's really a lot of richness I think for you to explore. You know, clearly you know we, you know we develop coping mechanisms for a reason, right? So so your coping mechanism was to shut down to function, which made you more you know more cerebral, as you say. Um, and that was probably necessary when that happened, right? And we have to trust that those strategies formed for good reason. Right? If there was no reason, there wouldn't have formed. Right? And I would say it's an outdated strategy, and it doesn't serve you. Or it doesn't serve the whole of you. It might serve a certain functionality, right? but that is going to be somewhat you know, shallow or, or more, less dimension, less rich than if, you, than if you include your fullness of your heart and your emotionality. And... Um, yeah, I think there's some interesting work for you to, if you were interested in exploring that, to to see how you could welcome more of the the heart. You mean maybe when you were 13, maybe it was really wild and it was difficult for you to function, or however old you were, or young you were when that shut down. You know, you were you're in a you're in a different phase in your life, and I imagine you could grow the skills to to have a much fuller range of emotionality and not lose your functionality. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, thank you for sharing. (laughs) I didn't mean to go down so deep in this, but it just seems like it's begging to be reflected. Yeah. You know, and I, I, you know, I think, you know, I imagine there's other people who can resonate with what you're saying. You know, we, there's a certain level of emotionality and openness and vulnerability that's okay, and there's a lot that's not okay in our culture. So it gets shut down by our families, by the work environment, just by cultural norms, by our own internalized norms. Right? And um, and if the, if it's you know if it's not in alignment with who we are, it's suffering. And this teaching is a the, the purpose of the teachings is to free us from a largely self-imposed suffering, right? So if that shutdown is shutting down, you know, when we shut down the heart, we shut down a big part of ourselves. Right? We just do. We can't shut down the pain or intensity and not and not shut down joy and that dimension too. You know, they kind of go together. So, so I wish for you that those this, that those two come together. Those. 
ability to function, the ability to integrate more of you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I'm going to read a poem that sort of relates to that a little bit. Now I'm going to read a different one instead because this one just jumped out. It's just as good. It's called Unconditional by Jennifer Wellwood. Opening to my loss. Uh, now this is a typo. I remember reading this before. Um, <laughs> Okay, we'll delete that first line. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed. So this sort of partly pertains to what I was sharing with you. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I turn towards transforms me and becomes itself transformed. And this is really, again, this is this integration of mindfulness and kindness, right? We're, We're learning to see our obstacles, seeing how we flee, seeing how we shut down, seeing how we check out all the different ways we avoid being ourselves, being here, being with what is, and turning towards that with as much love and curiosity and kindness. And seeing, oh, these are, you know, that's what, that's what meditation and mindfulness says. It reveals ways that we're not living in alignment with ourselves or with life that are no longer serving, that cause, that, cause, that cause pain, cause constriction. So you pointed a good example of how, you know, at times we need to shut down, which is very relevant at times, and then at times doesn't serve us any longer. And so we each have our own work in that department, right? How do we turn towards those with care and curiosity, not with judgment, not with why am I like that, why don't I do this, or why should I be more like that, but more, oh, where am I, and what doesn't serve, and you know, what? How does it get reflected in relationship, and where are my limitations in in, in connection with people, etc. Any other reflections? Yes. Uh, it was um, unconditional by Jennifer Wellwood, a local teacher poet. Yes, microphone over there. This will be short because we have to wrap up in a second. I just have a question about um, in our last conversation and in the process. Like I noticed, you know, throughout there were different shifts of um, giving Mm. and receiving and whether you think it's possible to be simultaneously giving and receiving. Yeah, yeah, it's happening all the time. Yeah, we might not be aware, but we we usually we may be more aware of one end of the spectrum or another. 
Um, you know, we can only really fully pay attention one thing at a time, but, you know, we can oscillate quickly back and forwards to feel into the giving and the receiving for sure. And I think that's what that exercise is. It's a field, field of that. Yeah. But it, but usually, usually we're more attuned to what we're giving than what we're receiving. So that's why I said pay attention. You know, you're also, just as you're wishing well, people are wishing you well, you know. As, um, <clears throat> Um, you know, one teacher talks about how she had a student who um, had a very hard time with herself and would often wake up in the middle of the night anxious and tortured and she would remember that somewhere somebody in the world was wishing matter for all beings and she is a being and so somewhere she is receiving kindness from somebody and it's a beautiful thing you know so it's true you know People doing meta, people praying, etc. So good to good to remember. I just wanted to share. I said I would share this this research. There's a wonderful article um, by uh, about um, some of um, Barbara Fredrickson's work, who does a lot of uh, meditation research on loving kindness, and <clears throat> she uh, points to 18 really significant. Um, research findings uh, on, on, on different research uh, uh, areas on loving kindness, <clears throat> including, I'm just going to read out the list because it's kind of fun list, because this is what you've been doing today. Medi- loving kindness increases positive emotions and decreases negative emotions, increases the vagal tone, which increases positive emotions and feelings of connection. Decreases migraines, decreases chronic pain, decreases PTSD among veterans, decreases schizophrenia spectrum disorders, activates empathy and emotional processing in the brain, decreases, increases your gray matter uh, in the brain, increases your ability to enter a relaxing and restorative state, which is good to do at night, decreases your telomere length, a biological marker of aging. Uh, makes you a more helpful person, increases compassion, increases empathy, decreases your bias towards others, especially minorities, increases social connections, curbs self-criticism, increases feelings of social connection and positivity towards strangers, and has long-term impact. So, this is good data, right? If you, if you just Google the 18 benefits of loving-kindness, you'll pull up her article, Barbara Friedrichson, um, and then there's links to all the different research, uh, all the different research pieces of research on loving kindness, of which there are now. It's it's its own growing, just as mindfulness has, be, has become prolific in in, in the neuroscience and um, research field. So is loving kindness and compassion. And usually, when you, well, not usually, often when you read about the compassion research that's based on the loving-kindness practice. Even though there, is a, there are a couple of specific compassion practices, they're often drawing on the loving-kindness practice as the basis for that. Because you know, when we cultivate the kindness, we're much more prone to feeling compassion and care for others. So, um, any last words I want to say? I just want to say I'm very happy to to be here with you and in this field and to cultivate loving kindness um, and you know to see how 
the practice can transform us, you know, in small ways and, and large ways. And, and, I, and I was very aware as I was teaching today that for most, if not all of you, what we've been covering today is just, it's just reminders. We're just reminding ourselves, all right, kindness. All right, slowing down enough to be present, to care, to be compassionate with our difficulties, to turn towards the places that are hurting. You know, this is this is not something alien to us that we, you know, it just, we just need as many reminders as possible. That's why we have these figures, you know, they're, oh, right, right, Buddha, right, presence, pause, awareness, and awakening, right, oh, that. Uh, wilderness retreats, and do work in companies and healthcare, and I do trainings and teacher trainings, and so I'll, I'll put more information out at lunchtime. So enjoy your Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.